Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. Hello, and welcome to the show. Today, October 15th, is I Love Lucy Day. So, as a way of celebrating a holiday that we can truly get behind, we are giving you two shows from the archives. All of our coverage from years past of Lucille Ball, her childhood, her early career, her fateful meeting of Desi Arnaz, and the powerhouse entertainment empire she created. So pour yourself a glass of vitamin of Vegemin, tuck some fancy chocolates into your shirt, and settle into your own twin-size bed. It's time to celebrate I Love Lucy Day with this super-sized episode. And now, on with the show. And here's your 30-second summary. She was a rebel as a brunette, broke into Hollywood as a platinum blonde, but it was with a head of tango red hair and decades of hard work that she became one of the most powerful women in show business and a piece of America's heart. The end. Let's talk about Lucille Ball. But first, let's drop her into history. In 1951, the UN headquarters in New York opened. It was the third year of the Emmy Awards. J. Edgar Hoover declined the position of baseball commissioner. The first color TV show and the first transcontinental TV broadcast were made. Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger was published, and Disney's Alice in Wonderland was released. Joseph Stalin, Harry Truman, and Winston Churchill were all in power. Chrissy Hyde, Sally Ride, and Angelica Houston were born. And on October 15, 1951, I Love Lucy, starring Lucille Ball, premiered. Lucille Desiree Ball was born on August 6, 1911, in her grandparents' apartment in Jamestown, New York. She was the first child of Henry and Desiree Ball. They called her Dee Dee. I thought that was cute. But Mama was actually born with the name Desire Hunt, which is kind of problematic. I know that those attribute names were super popular in the Puritan era, you know, like temperance, hope, uh-huh. a felicity. That had a little bit of a resurgence. Still, Desire is a troublesome name, especially when you get to be a woman. <laughs> It is indeed. I guess she Frenchified it to Desiree, which I guess if you went to France, it would still be Desire. But over in Jamestown, New York, I guess it looked, I don't know, upscale, classy. Well, Papa was the grandson of a wealthy man. He had been Jed clampeted by a lovely little oil strike on his property. But unfortunately, Papa's own father had risked and squandered and sold off his portion and sort of descended into what was a pretty new field. I guess descended is the wrong word, but he went into the new telephone industry. I guess that's pretty fancy still, avant-garde. Uh, <laughs> lucrative enough that Papa had followed his father both into that business and also out west to Missoula, Montana, where he was an electrician, a lineman for a telephone company. Now, the amount of times these people go back and forth from Montana to New York, it kind of astonished me. They did it a lot, and it had to be quite a grueling trip. But on one of those trips back to Jamestown, 24-year-old Henry met 18-year-old Desiree, and within a year, the two were married. Desiree's parents were also working people. Mr. Hunt was a woodworker at a furniture company, and Mrs. Hunt was the neighborhood midwife in an era when most people were still born at home. 
The newlyweds moved back to Montana shortly after they were married, but by the next summer, they were headed back to Jamestown because Desiree was pregnant. So baby Lucille was born in 1911, and I looked it up because I thought it was more common, but Lucille was only the 32nd most popular name in 1911. (laughs) Really? I did not realize it was even on the list. Well, Edith was on one side and Clara was on the other side. Okay, in contrast, today, the 32nd, well, 2015, um, (laughs) Addison is number 32, which doesn't seem that common. But then again, I don't hang out with the preschool set anymore, so I don't really know. Um, (laughs) I know a couple Addisons, yeah. You do? And then on the other side of her is Hannah and Mackenzie. And those two, oh, yes, I have seen. Wow, how the Hannahs have fallen. It wasn't that long ago that Hannah was near the top. Yeah. Well, so her family did move back to Montana and Detroit. Telephone work, you kind of went where uh, where the action was. It was a very up-and-coming, burgeoning industry. And so they lived there for a few years, and that seems regular. Little Lucille, saucy and talkative and so cute. You will not believe this photo I have on the Pinterest board. <laughs> With her giant bow on her little head. So cute. Um, And when Lucille was about three and a half, though, her father contracted typhoid fever and came home to be nursed by his wife. Typhoid fever is not something to play with. And about a month later, a month of suffering, I have to tell you, it is not a good disease. The progression, which I looked up and you know what? We're not going to link you to because it's depressing. (laughs) Um, It's horrifying. But what Lucille had the memory of, kind of like a She's little, you know, it was like an odd kind of kaleidoscope of images. A picture fell off the wall. Her mother was screaming. A bird got stuck in the house. And this last thing, the bird upset her so badly, kind of all mixed in with all this just confusion and fear. And the grownups are not able to be leaned upon, you know, in her life. Everybody's too upset. Grown up Lucy still used to have panic attacks if she saw a bird, even a statue of a bird or a bird pattern. Um, So her father's death as early as it was, left an imprint on her mind as well as changing the course of her life from now on. Lucy remembers screaming as his coffin was lowered into the ground. Ugh. Mama moved back in with her parents and her younger sister and five months later gave birth to her son, Lucille's brother, Fred, who, of course, never knew his father. Mama met a man named Ed Peterson about three years later while she was doing war work in a factory. This is World War I. And they married when Lucille was seven. But this guy, though, this guy, this guy, though, no kidding. He seemed to hate kids. Well, or the burden of kids. I can't get this. Like he knew she had children. I think his thought was, well, there's grandparents. We can just start over and those people can just, you know, shift for themselves. I mean, he wouldn't really engage with them. He wouldn't let them call him, you know, dad or daddy or papa or any variation of that. I don't even know what they called him. Mr. Peterson. Oh, I can tell you what they called him. At their wedding, Lucy held his hand and looked up at him and said, are you our new daddy? And he looked down at her, shook her hand off and said, you can call me Ed. Ed. I'm not going to defend this guy. But so the parents kind of probably took care of the kids a lot more than Dee Dee because she was working. So when they would go out on a date, the kids were taken care of. He probably didn't have very much interaction with them at all, you know, while they were dating. Well, as soon as possible, he took a job in Michigan and took Mama with him. Okay, she went. 
with him. I'm, oh God, I sound like I'm defending this, but she went. I mean, she left her kids and went with him to Michigan. Well, okay. So I little know. brother Fred stayed home, you know, home. This is where he's lived his entire life. This is in fact where he was born. He stayed at grandma's house, same as he mm-hmm. had been. But for some reason, maybe financial, I don't, I don't know. Lucille was sent to her stepfather's parents, grandma and grandpa Peterson. And uh, and I'm sorry to say, Grandma Peterson was a strict and pretty harsh person. Sophia Peterson was not a warm and fuzzy woman at all. She was strict and stern. She talked about purgatory and sins all the time, punished her for the most minor of infractions like, oh, I don't know, looking at herself in the mirror. Chores and isolation, not only from her family, but all these punishments. She was being isolated from the neighborhood kids, too. Grandma Peterson reminds me of a harsher... Well, I'm sure you've read Anne of Green Gables. I'm sure many of you have. A harsher Marilla. Remember Marilla when Anne first got there? She's like, whoa, too much imagination. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Please just do your chores and button your face because you're freaking me out. Like right. <laughs> she wouldn't stand for any vanity, just like Marilla or, you know, or spunk or liveliness or whatever. And she's kind of maybe not as bad as the Dursleys to Harry Potter. There was there was shelter and there was food and some sort of clothes, but no affection. Like, I, you know what? I'm doing my duty here. Um, yeah. I got the impression that it wasn't um, as much, oh, I'll, we'll take care of you as we're doing you a favor, you poor child. It was very, it sounded like a very dark time. I don't think they, like you just said, I don't think they were sinister, but it just dark, I guess, is dark and bleary. And it totally made an impression on her that lasted for the rest of her life. Well, and here she'd catch this trolley car over to the other grandma's house and it was all cozy and loud and full of people and just, you know, she just ache to live there. Like I and she's so little, she can't really ask, why are you exiling me? Um, Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, when you're trying to go to a first grade party and your grandma makes sure your hair doesn't have any curl to it and says parties are the devil's tricks. I mean, I have been to some devil tricks parties, Grandma, but I was not, not in first grade. grade. <laughs> well, Lucille had to play alone, mostly, and so she invented this imaginary friend called Sassafrasa. Incidentally, Caroline Kennedy had a famous doll named Sassafras. I wonder how common that was. I wonder if it was a, I wish I'd looked this up, a cartoon of the time. I, Sassafras it doesn't occur to beverage, anyone today. Beverage. Wasn't it Sassafras soda? It's like root beer, I think. Yeah. So when, anyway, Sassafrasa was her salvation and she got good grades and she kept her head down and she just got through it until Mama came back for her four years later. Four years. Come on. Well, she didn't come back for Lucille is the thing. She came back because her own mother was dying of cancer. And finally, Lucille was brought back into the family circle. They had moved kind of out to the country to have a little bit of a bigger place to save some money. A house in Celeron, New York. For everyone involved, it seems like um, a nice environment. I mean, it was totally multi-generational still. You know, the grandparents, Dee Dee and Ed, Lucy and Freddie, um, the aunt Lola, who had left her husband but had a three-year-old daughter. I mean, it sounds like a kind of a, a fun house in some regard. I mean, like I said, <laughs> dying grandmother was standing. All the grown-ups, except poor Grandma Hunt, um, really, who died almost as soon as Lucille moved in, all the grown-ups went out to work, even the ladies. The mama worked at the fanciest dress store in town um, and always looked very nice because of it. You know how you, like, well, like, we when I used to write the catalog for anthropology, I, you know, you kind of drink the Kool-Aid. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> and oh, so yeah. Mama probably looked quite fabulous every day. Um, Aunt Lola, she ran a beauty shop. And the men were often, you know, their workshops at their factories. And Lucille, about age 12, was in charge of the other kids from an early age. Her cousin Cleo was eight years younger. Her brother was four years younger. That's the fate of older sisters throughout history. But I think everybody... Wait, are you speaking as an older sister in history? <laughs> I'm the oldest of four. That's yes, all I'm I saying know. about that. Well, everyone <laughs> did great, though. They pulled their weight. But, okay, but in contrast to the other house... The neighborhood kids were always over. They did shows in the vestibule. They they ran around and went to get this Celeron Park, which sounds like Coney Island to me. There's a Ferris wheel and a roller coaster and a dance hall with the music just drifting over the air and the smell of popcorn every summer night. You know, like a block away. Free movies in the park every night. If you're seven, eight, nine, don't have an allowance, doesn't matter because they're free, free, free. You can watch them every night as long as the place is open. This seems kind of, kind of dreamy, like childhood. It seems a lot like, a, well, it was a, a resort area. So it seems a lot like living your life, you know, at a summer place. And um, they'd borrow these rowboats and just row around Lake Chautauqua with probably no life vests on, mothers of the past. I'm pointing <laughs> at you. But they waited for a half an hour after they ate. So it was okay. <laughs> there you go. But Lucille did have some grit, though. She did, at the age of 12, you know, you might want a little spending money. She went and got this summer job at a hamburger and hot dog stand. And she kept that job for many years, became sort of famous as the girl that worked there, in fact. And her her uh, technique was very similar to our pinball machine that we have. Uh, and she, a customer would come up and she would just be like, stop, buy a hot dog. <laughs> If it works, don't fix it. I think it did work because they would laugh and buy a freaking hot dog. <laughs> and she, it was kind of like her being on stage, which I, I got to give Ed the credit for this. He did start to take her to shows in the area. So, I mean, can we give him a little credit maybe? Maybe he just didn't have because, you know, his mom was so like she was. Maybe he's one of those guys that until the kids become like little people, he has no idea what to do. Excellent point. And he hadn't been around kids before. Okay, let's go with that theory. He didn't know what to do with them. Well, at 13, Lucille got her hair cut in a bob. You guys, a bob. A bob. (laughs) Short hair. Super shocking. But hey, it's 1924. It's not the 1800s. Okay, I have to tell you, after doing all this research and the the, uh, Zelda stuff that's on because the show that's coming up in January, I want to get a bob so bad. Did I ever tell the story about my country grandma and her haircut on this show? This was about the same time, although my grandma was older um, than this. She was probably 17 at the time that she got her haircut. Okay, so here's the very short version. She was the oldest of a large family, and she and her friend, uh, what was her friend's name? Nelda, um, decided that they were going to cut their hair because their father said no, and they were going to. And so... Uh, my grandma went into the kitchen and got in the drawer and got those scissors that her mother used to use to cut like, you know, how you have like chicken legs. You just cut whack off with this giant pair of scissors or, you know, the kitchen shears. You cut twine with it or whatever. She got that and Nelda gathered up my grandma's hair in a ponytail and cut right above her hand <laughs> straight across with those scissors. Yes, she did. Looked at her handiwork, threw the hair on the ground and the scissors in the bushes and ran screaming back to her house. <laughs> <laughs> I, I gotta tell you my son did that to my daughter he grabbed her ponytail and a pair of scissors oh i know i know 
My grandma was pretty satisfied with the whole affair. Actually, it probably looked like hell. But um, yeah, she was like, well, it's done now. You know, what are we going to do? And so she kind of hid out (laughs) for a while. And then she went back in the kitchen to return the scissors. And there's her mom stirring something, turns around, looks at her, says absolutely nothing, and turns around and keeps stirring. Like, oh, my God, what is happening? Um, Her dad, you know, freaked out, but you can't glue it back on. And he had to take her downtown to get it trimmed up by an actual hair person. It looked. Yes, I do, because I had to do the same thing with my daughter. So, so just cutting your hair into a bob nowadays just seems like, oh, you know, whatever. But there it was kind of a statement. I'm going to totally do it. Well, next week. I'm going next week. Document it. You have to be more careful with curly hair, though. Chin length. I'm on it. Okay, I'm just saying, go to a person comfortable with curly hair. I got, I got a gal. Mm. A gal. I can't believe I said gal. I have a woman. I know who's doing it. It's going to be done. Document the whole thing. Put it on. Uh, put it on the Instagram. Okay, so she and her friend Pauline next door weren't allowed to buy makeup. Now, this will also sound a little familiar to anyone who listened to the Clara Bow episode. So Lucille would go <laughs> to the dime store and get pink or red crepe paper, put it in water, and hey, presto, we have lipstick and rouge. <laughs> Ta-da! Clara Bow used her red flocked wallpaper and a dampened finger, but a girl's got to do what a girl's got to do. Lucille craved 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 the attention that she hadn't really had since she was about three so she performed improv at recess and directed friends in skits she was the one with the imagination she was the boss Uh, even in her freshman year of high school she organized the drama club and wrote plays and put them on kind of in defiance of the administration who said they just didn't have anyone that could monitor them and they're like you don't have to monitor us We'll be fine. You know, Um, so almost on a weekly basis, she threatened to run away to New York to go on the stage, go on Broadway. And, you know, one time her mother packed her a bag, pointed the way and said, you know, it's this many miles. You just have a nice time. Here's a sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) But teenage Lucille was kind of getting a reputation for kookery. I guess, kookery, but people sort of, this might be super unfair, and in fact, I'm sure it is, viewed her mother as not clamping down on her enough. You know, there's no rules in that house, people would say. And I don't know if it's because Mama went out to work when a lot of people didn't, or really, maybe there weren't any rules in the house, because at 14, she started seeing this local bad boy. It wasn't just that he was a bad boy. He was 21. And she's 14. Yeah, let's just, wow. So he's 21, and he had a car, and he was notorious, and his dad was Mr. McSketcherson, too. His dad was involved in some shady dealings with some very shady people, although nominally he had a fruit and vegetable business, but I think there were other businesses. And Johnny was going to school. He was going to become a doctor, right? I mean, she defended him at every opportunity. Of course, the gossip swirled around, but I don't know. The girl like, kind of liked being in the spotlight. So I don't know if being the source of all that gossip was terrible for her. Well, some of her girlfriends were forbidden to hang out with her anymore. And that's sad. I, you know, she would ride on the hood of his car, etc. And I've seen lots of photos of these wild girls from the 20s. And it all seems pretty tame to me from here. But if you think about right. it in terms of, say... First season Downton Abbey people observing flappers sitting on the hoods of their boyfriend's cars in a short skirt screaming. You know what I mean? Yeah. So oh, she's yeah. wild. 
<laughs> so maybe because of this boyfriend, in fact, Lucille got the opportunity, uh, well, and Lucille's mom got the money together, which is no small feat, to send her to New York City to this expensive and famous drama school. I mean, another student was Betty Davis, by the way. This is no crackpot back of the comic book organization. This is a real deal. It was $350 a semester, which is now almost, in today's money, $5,000 a semester for someone that works in a dress shop to come up with. She had to audition to get in there. And all the other girls were coming in with, you know, these Shakespeare um, pieces and performing them. And she grabbed a vaudeville skit that she had heard at one of the shows that she'd seen and and did that. And they thought it was, you know, fresh and charming. And that's how she got in. I love that. I I do love that. So that's an early bit of um, self leaking out that would be hidden for many years. But she went to New York City at last. But, you know, it was just that classic big fish in a small pond moves to the ocean. She was completely overwhelmed and she just started to shut down. She made almost no, no impression at all. And the head of the school wrote to Lucille's mother like, you were absolutely wasting your money. Please accept our full refund after like a month. Yeah, it didn't last long. And later in life, Lucy said that all she learned at drama school was to, quote, how to be frightened. The summer that Lucille was 16. A tragic accident happened that caused her family to fracture apart. Her brother Fred had got a new gun for his 12th birthday. Would anyone like to place any bets on how this story's going to go? The short version is that a friend of Fred's shot a little eight-year-old boy through the neck and paralyzed him. And Grandpa, Fred Hunt, was charged with negligence. He is the owner of the property. He was the adult on deck. He had to pay the fine and the court costs and a lawsuit filed by the child's parents. Eventually, Grandpa lost his house and spent some time in jail. And I'm sorry to say that that little boy died at the age of 13. So a lot of lives were changed that day. Mm-hmm. If nothing else, can you please not let unsupervised randos shoot your gun in the yard? Can we start well, I guess there? what happened was the kid's mom called him home and he ran in front of the gun. Uh, You know, there was a lot of kids. It was the 4th of July. They were all running around. Well, the family had to break up, and that's literally what they called it, the breakup. That's what Mm -hmm. they referred to this period of life. Aunt Lola went one place to work. Cousin Cleo, who was really their sister, for all intents and purposes, you know, she was Mm -hmm. sent to live with her father. Lucille's parents and brother moved to this cramped apartment back in Jamestown, and Grandpa became sort of this itinerant odd jobs man. It was bad. And Lucille alternated between actually going to high school and running off to New York to try to crack show business. This is when she started claiming to be from Montana because it was exotique. And you can't Mm -hmm. pull off British if you can't do accents, which she never could in her whole life, by the way. (laughs) She uh, so she said she was from Montana and said her name was Diane Belmont. Um, She tried out as a chorus girl for several major companies, including Ziegfeld's. And she did get cast, but it seems she was not a great fit. For one thing, Lucille was very thin and you have seen the Outfits, which are less outfits and more what I call asset management, (laughs) Uh, which she did not have the assets to manage. Her self-confidence never came back here. And those professional showgirls just tore her up. They were not, you know, people with a heart of gold. They were out for blood. And she, come on, she's like 16. And she lived on hot water and ketchup soup 
And she'd slip into seats at diners. People would get up and leave like half their donut or whatever. And she'd sit in the chair and eat the rest of the donut. I mean, that's desperation. And Very much so. It, it kind of reminds me of um, Madonna tells the story of her first years in New York, like the lean years, which I think she ate popcorn for months because that's all she could afford. I think this was the period of time when she found it necessary and kind of fell victim to some shady characters. And she did pose for some topless photos just to survive. Yeah. I was reading through one of her one of the biographies and I was quite surprised to see that photo. I had never seen it before. Well, she did get so. a respectable gig as a model in a clothing designer showroom. Now, this okay, your thin figure in a designer showroom, finally an asset. This designer, Hattie Carnegie, had a movie star client that Lucille resembled. And so if Lucille would bleach her hair platinum to match this particular client who was a movie star, power of suggestion and all, mm -hmm. um, she was hired. She was hired. So her twinness was an asset here. So the lady could see herself in the clothes. Right. And the models were a whole lot nicer than the showgirls. They kind of taught Lucille what to do. They um, taught her how to slip food into her handbag, for instance, and on a date. But they also taught her, taught her how to stand like a model, how to wear the clothes properly, how to get that vapid look in their face. They were very encouraging. And I thought that was so interesting that the showgirls were just cutthroat and the models were so warm and welcoming to her. I guess she found her people. That's interesting that you would say that because I actually have a whole different scenario. But uh, really, go either way. Yeah, I read. Okay, that. what's the other one? Well, and now see, this might just be the first go round. That client whose last name was Bennett Const was it Constance Bennett? She was a big client, and it was kind of a big prize. And to get, have it given to someone that was you know sixteen and inexperienced was a little offensive, I think. And they put her through a bit of hazing at the beginning. They would speak in a language that they had made up, and they pretended they all understood each other and finally they asked lucy well what do you think of all that after they had had one of those nonsense conversations and mm -hmm. lucy was like i hardly think whatever i think about your conversation will have any bearing on the matter at all and they all laughed and then kind of broke the ice so oh, maybe okay. there was like a little bit of a hazing period but then after that you know when you can hang then they'll start to right hang. Yeah. Okay. I, I like the compilation version. Yeah. Because that makes that makes no. It makes a lot of sense. But when you find your people and you speak their language, even if you don't understand the words the other people are saying, <laughs> <laughs> you just get each other. You know. <laughs> well, I have to say, she kind of worked herself to death. All of this kind of acting big, being in the real world at sixteen was kind of too much for someone. And. Uh, she came back to Jamestown, and this is a period of time, there's some kind of illness that happens. Was it a nervous breakdown? She says it was arthritis that came on suddenly and had her bedridden. I can't imagine arthritis that disappears and never comes back. Yeah, Seems I think that was pretty much disputed, that it was uh, any kind of arthritis. Um, the one that sounded the most logical to me was rheumatic fever. Oh, yeah. She uh, literally collapsed while modeling a dress and Hattie Carnegie hustled her to a clinic. Mm -hmm. Well, or had people hustle her. Hattie Carnegie <laughs> was a little tiny person. I don't know that she's carrying tall people down the I, street. I imagined uh, Edna from The Incredibles. <laughs> no capes. Well, probably capes, but, you know, no capes. <laughs> so when she got better there in Jamestown, she worked multiple part-time jobs. She was an elevator girl. She was a soda jerk. She was, of course, hot dog vendor in the summer. She mm -hmm. also sold cosmetics. 
She resumed her flapper ways, not stealing because it's her boyfriend, borrowing her boyfriend's car and driving 80 miles an hour down the highway with screaming friends in the backseat. Um, generally being pretty interesting, I think. Her best friend, Marion, was her partner in crime, and I'm really glad she had a best friend that was a girl. Do you know what I mean? I'm glad she had somebody. Yes. She got a couple of roles in local theater. One as a, quote, underworld girl, a little crook. Well, she was the girlfriend of a rum runner and a gambler who kept her in pen money and paid for an apartment <laughs> where they met. I'm just saying, maybe they don't know that. <laughs> well, her reviews were spectacular. She parlayed that into another stint in a review with actual professionals. And with confidence bolstered, she quit high school forever, got her old job back at Hattie Carnegie's. And began her career as a model. And she convinced her friend Marion to come live with her in the city. Just in time, I think, because Johnny went to jail and his father was shot by a rival in his, quote, business dealings. And I can't imagine a tomato salesman was the one. I think no. this was his other businesses. <laughs> it's the Contadina guy. <laughs> yeah. It's Jackson from Gilmore Girls. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Um, and this part seems like sex in the city to me. Don't yes, I'm agreeing with you. Total sex in the city. Dinners with prominent men, nightclubs, caviar, and the novelty of Chinese food, which she'd never had before, but of course was all over New York City. She was young and just beautiful in the city that never sleeps. This part seemed like anybody's early 20s that had the luck to be out and about. You know, it seemed kind of like my early 20s. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Now, she did get fired briefly from Hattie Carnegie's because she was expected to work and she came across Clara Bow going into a hotel, Lucille Ball did, and mm -hmm. gaga and freaked out and tried to absorb all the Clara Bow she could Clara Bow, you know, stood <laughs> around while the reporters were asking questions, basically wasted an hour and she was late for work anyway. And then when she finally got there, Hattie had had to replace her in a very key meeting with a customer and was not very happy. And so she didn't work for Hattie Carnegie again for about a month. But... Lots of other people hired her. Lots of other stores. She did fashion shows. She was doing fine. She was making almost $100 a week modeling at a time mm -hmm. when the average income in America was $28 a week. And that's for men with families. Right. So she was doing well enough that she could bring her family into the city to live with her. She was able to support her brother, who actually stayed with her and went to high school. She had a modeling job where she posed with wolfhounds for Chesterfield cigarettes. And that was a very high profile. It was a poster series up in the subways and on the buses and that kind in of thing. In Times Square? Mm-hmm. And this led to an offer to appear in the chorus in a movie called Roman Scandals. And she would be making more money than she was modeling and in L.A. as a Goldwyn girl. If nothing else, it was a free adventure you could talk about and think about for years to come, right? Absolutely. And it was a six-week commitment. So Lucille accepted. And boarded a train. And this is probably a good time to take a break. And we come back, we'll find out what happened when she hit Hollywood. And we're back. 
Lucille has been picked to be a Goldwyn girl, and she said later that she only got the job because someone else's parents forbade their daughter to go. The boss didn't want to mess with it, and she was the replacement in the right place at the right time. You know, that's maybe true. She had failed several screen tests. It was routine to give a model screen tests from now and again, just in case, because Hollywood's a machine and they need some more parts. Mm -hmm. Um, But when Samuel Goldwyn himself came down to review his new troops, one of them stood out, having stuffed her bra with old socks and toilet paper and napkins, some of which was showing, and he noticed her all right, and he wanted her out. (laughs) That kind of comedy, because she knew that you know, the asset management was not going to favor her. And so not at all. she decided to be like, look, I know. Look at this. You know, she was not trying to trick him, but whatever. The director went to bat for her and it was good for both sides that he did because Lucille, that girl who worked four part-time jobs in high school, was a super hard worker in Hollywood, which seems like a rare thing. I mean, she showed up. She did the thing, whatever the thing was. You know, you want to hit me with a mud pie? Fine. Animals chomping on my arm? cool. Do you need someone to fall down? You know, pick me. She didn't care. She made friends with the lowliest on the set and the most high just by being kind of self-deprecating and charming and remembering things about people. It'll get you real far. And she's really funny. And she started to get noticed. And more importantly, people started to pull for her. Samuel Goldwyn himself, by the way, finally deigned to chase her around his desk. Gross. She ran all the way into the street to avoid that situation. (laughs) It's kind of that was kind of like a milestone, though, for the time. Just like, oh, that's another step up on the ladder. He reminds me of Jabba the Hutt. I know, me too. So gross. (laughs) But other men, less Jabba the Hutt-looking men, gave her gifts like lines in a major motion picture, and those were much more welcome. (laughs) She was loaned out for small parts in other studios' movies. And, you know, I think most of this is probably still, you know, someone asks friends, hey, do you know someone good? I get a couple of lines here in this thing. And here's where your reputation for being a good worker will help you out, I think. Oh, yeah. Even the columnist Walter Winchell mentioned her in his column. And that, talk about a milestone, that was arriving, Mm -hmm. even though she still wasn't a name and didn't have a credit on the screen. Mm -hmm. He mentioned her, and this is in the gossip column. I mean, he'll come in later in a big way, by the way. Yeah, in a huge way. She was getting out there. She was being seen. She was doing, you know, what starlets are supposed to do. Lucille's boyfriend was the assistant and best friend to movie star George Raft, who was seeing Carol Lombard at the time. She was widely acknowledged as the best comedic actress in the business. So it's always good to be around people who can teach you something, especially if it's genuine. I mean, George Raft and his assistant were best friends and their girlfriends hung out a lot together. Carol Lombard took her under her wing a little bit and taught her ways to promote herself, how to network, which she she was doing. She did on her own. And then with a little help from Carol Lombard, of all people, you know, she's getting even better at it. A lot of her contacts in the early years can read like this who's who of early Hollywood. So we will name drop some, but we can't possibly list everyone. But everyone who was anyone at some point dropped in or out of this story. Oh, yeah. And there's photographs to prove it. (laughs) You know, (laughs) young so-and-so with Lucille Ball. Yeah. Well, her six-month contract kind of stretched out to a year with like 
no effort, really. Tiny, tiny parts kept coming. She was technically a working actress. She wasn't having this huge leap in her career, but she was working at a fairly steady pace. She was starting to save some money, but she really, really missed her family. She would call her mother weekly um, and kind of started a campaign to get the family to come out to California. It's great here. It's beautiful. The weather's nice. I'm working. And George Raft himself, big movie star, loaned her the money so that she could rent a house on Ogden Drive. And she began bringing her family one by one to California. First, Fred, her brother, that was the strategy because he could start earning money. And mm-hmm. then they together could bring everybody out. So it was first Fred, then Mama, then Grandpa Hunt and Cleo. And there was an avocado tree in their front yard, which seems to me to be better than Willy Wonka's garden. <laughs> Boy, if I lived in a house that had an orange tree and an avocado tree, I think I would be one of the happiest people on the planet. Grandpa Hunt, when he came, had very, very strong views on communism. He'd always been a union man. He was for the working man. The working poor were being trodden on by the rich. And due to his political views and really the respect the whole family had and admittedly the guilt for kind of having blown him out of his house and his career and all kind of things back home with that incident with the gun. The whole family, one by one, as they got their residency requirements, went down and registered for the primary for the Communist Party. And they just figured, you know, it's the least we can do. It'll make him very happy to walk us down there and watch us sign the card. And no harm, no foul, I guess, was the feeling. Lucy never voted communist because, frankly, she was too busy to go down and vote on the day of the presidential election anyway. Well, we're going to just park this here. That happened (laughs) about now. Grandpa was like talking to she was getting wealthy enough that she could hire help at the house. And he'd go around telling them that, you know, they weren't making enough money and they needed to stand up for themselves and <laughs> spouting all these, you know, these communist philosophies to the maids. Okay. I'm sure that worked super well. She got him some work in the uh, set department and he was doing it there, too. He must have been quite a character. That's all I can say. That agitator. He's awesome, though. I, I find myself feeling very warm toward Grandpa Hunt. Yeah. So still, the hard work, the hard work, the hard work, the hard work. And it was kind of getting to her because the big break, whatever a big break is, you know, (laughs) big breaks eluded her. It just eluded her. And there was a point in time when she was at the commissary sitting with Margaret Hamilton, later super famous as the Wicked Witch in The Wizard of Oz, which we have talked about her before. But there was a point where she was just talking to her and Lucille put her head on the table and just started to cry and cry and cry. Am I ever going to succeed? I have to provide for my family. She had a goal. She thought she would like to become a comedic actress. People would comment on how funny she was. She liked the attention and the spotlight that that being funny gave her, gave her that, I'm, this is not her words, it's mine. But when you find something that you do well, there's a high to it. And I'm thinking that's what she felt when she did anything comedic. So she would, I mean, she'd let the three stooges throw pies in her face and shoot soda water up her nose. And she just kept doing it over and over again on these tiny little parts. RKO, the studio that she was with, would not take serious press photos for Lucille headshots, you know, until Lucille got her teeth straightened. Although they were very happy to promote the fact that during the filming of That Girl from Paris, Miss Ball had to fall down 36 times a day. So they're not taking her seriously as star material, for sure. 
I don't think. But they did put her on the road to getting her teeth straightened. She also was being mentored by Ginger Rogers' mother. Now, just to say that, it's no big deal. But Ginger Rogers' mother did everything to make sure that Ginger Rogers is the person that we remember today. She was the power behind her getting into into show business. And Ginger Rogers' mother took Lucille under her wing. She said, I see something in you. I see some type of star quality. So she's the one that kind of instigated the teeth straightening, the wardrobe overhaul. Um, She had her read literature. She made her take elocution lessons and deportment classes. She even got her a stint in live theater so that she could experience that type of acting environment. So this woman was really helping to mold this tall, lanky lump of blonde clay into a more polished actress that gave her skills that she was able to use for the rest of her life a tiny little aside on ginger rogers mother she was such a stage mother and such a presence and honestly everyone was kind of afraid of her that they mm-hmm. literally said hey why don't you start an institute for our um, both our day players and our contract players a little school uh, an improvement school similar to what you did with ginger you can do that for all of our other players and i see the signs of oh my gosh please oh please give her something to do. So ultimately, (laughs) Lucille did star in Stage Door with her friend, Ginger Rogers. They had become friends. Um, They referred to each other as cousins due to a very, very, very distant, unprovable cousin relationship. Many great greats back. But uh, also the legendary Catherine Hepburn was there. Now, that's the most plum role that Lucille had ever had. Catherine Hepburn, this was kind of kind of her comeback role. She'd been so hard to work with that people were kind of getting disenchanted with Katherine Hepburn right about now. So this was kind of her chance to come back. Lucille held it together for the most part. But Katherine Hepburn was given great respect at the studio despite being very, very hard to work with. And the hair and makeup people had started working with Lucille. But when Katherine Hepburn showed up, they kicked Lucille out. But unfortunately, all her caps, her teeth caps, <laughs> were still in the room. And so she kept knocking, you know, I need them back. I'm supposed to be at a photo shoot. Hello, hello, I need them back. <laughs> the makeup guy kept saying, go away, go away. You know, I'm busy with blah, blah, blah. She reached in to this sliding door and threw a cup of coffee intending to hit the makeup man in the head but instead dumped the coffee right over Catherine Hepburn. Yeah, and Lucille was almost fired. I mean, almost fired. Now, from the lowliest to the highest, people actively campaigned for her. And in the end, Catherine Hepburn also said, you know what, we were being jerks. (laughs) She just wanted her freaking teeth. I'm sorry, we were being jerks. We should have just opened the door and let her get her stuff. It was our fault. No harm, no foul. Woo! That's right. Woo! Hey, having Katherine Hepburn stand up for you like that, that's definitely another step on that ladder. Another step she had was that the studio invented a past for her. Let's see. She was a schoolboy rescuing adventurer who flew a plane and played polo. She wood carved as a hobby. She owned a floral shop and she was, quote, one of Hollywood's best dressed actresses. That was her bio that they made up for her. For Lucille? Yes. Oh, my God. Well, all right. Okay, now get this. Here is Worlds Colliding. RKO made Lucille and several of its other stars audition for the role of Scarlett O'Hara, which Lucille correctly called nothing but a PR stunt as far as she was concerned. That's right. And she didn't show up until she was literally ordered to by Samuel Goldwyn. And then... Had to wait so long for him to come back and had drunk so much brandy waiting for him that, well, let's just say she didn't get the part. 
she was she hadn't caught in some rain so she needed that brandy to warm up but he kept her waiting she was not only drunk and soaked but she was literally on her knees when she read the part and later she said she didn't realize it that's how drunk she was so yes we're not gonna have scarlett o'hara played by lucille ball Hmm. well she was making about two thousand dollars a week and churning out tons of movies in 1938 and 1939, mostly what were called B-movies, what we today might call straight-to-video. Although, do we call them straight-to-video anymore? Because nobody No, has... I think we call them straight-to-Netflix. Okay, straight-to-Netflix. Although, there's some really good stuff on Netflix now. The OA, oh, I'd love that. And Travelers, they have nothing to do with Lucille Ball, but they were really good. Science fiction. I never get the remote. Oh, I um, watch him on my laptop after everybody goes to bed. Huh. All right. <laughs> it's like me at like midnight. I'm like going, oh, should I watch one more? No, Susan, get some sleep. That is the binge watching rules of our generation. I know. <laughs> so also, in addition to the B-movies, she started to appear on the Jack Haley show on radio. It's officially called the Wonder Hour because it was sponsored by Wonder Bread, but everybody called it the Jack Haley show. Jack Haley slightly in the future to be known as the Scarecrow of the Wizard of Oz. But here's the thing. Her comedy stylings on the Jack Haley show got immediate response due to a live studio audience. She'd felt this before with her brief appearances in live theater, but something clicked. Something began. A spark began to smolder. Lucille was cast opposite Maureen O'Hara in a movie called Dance Girl Dance. And it was two dancers. There's one trying to be a top ballerina and the other resorting to burlesque. Gotcha-cha. Mm -hmm. And the ladies had to film a fight scene and the set was getting kind of crazy with everyone anticipating a girl fight. And so the two actresses came up with a scheme. They charged admission to see the filming of the fight scene <laughs> and donated the money to charity. I love that. And then they ripped the crap out of each other. <laughs> I love this. Like, no punches pulled. Oh, no. All punches pulled. They were <laughs> biting and scratching and punching each other in the face and rolling around and like, woo. Everyone was fanning themselves, I guess. So cut. Break for lunch. Lucille stands up. And what to her wondering eyes should appear but a dirt-covered hot guy in a football outfit who had stopped by from another set. Bolt of lightning on her side. <laughs> Anyway, we've just had our first meeting with Desi Arnaz, and our hair is all over our face, and we have a black eye. Isn't that just the way? Oh, yeah. Well, and she was dressed as a burlesque star. She was, like, she looked... La, 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 la. Say that a different way. <laughs> I can't. That just came to me. <laughs> I don't know that that's appropriate for a PG show. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> I can't even think of what I just said. Uh, and she'd been dressed like a burlesque star. So she was already looking a little uh, not quite polished. And um, as luck would have it, Lucille was also booked on his movie. And when she showed up next door at the table read, this beautiful blonde girl in a yellow sweater with, incidentally, no blood or sweat on her face. Well, let's just say the attraction was mutual and obvious. And by the end of the week, 
Lucy had broken up with her latest influential older director boyfriend. That was her habit, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Desi had broken up with his fiance in order to be with her. These are big ties they have just cut here. Lucille was 29 and Desi was 23. And for the first time in her professional career, Lucille's boyfriend was not a career decision. It was passion. We'll give you a quick background of Desi Arnaz. He was born Desiderio Alberto Arnaz y de Asha III. He was born in March of 1917 in Santiago, Cuba. His father was the mayor. His uncle was the chief of police. His mother was the most beautiful woman in town. And her father was a bigwig at Bacardi Rum. So his family... Unlike Lucille's, was prominent and had plenty of money and status. Desi was an only child, which was rare enough in Cuba to be very noteworthy. And he was super indulged and super adored. And he was allowed to study music, especially guitar, which his grandmother loved to have him serenade her with his guitar. That's so cute. It is. And he was expected to become a lawyer in due time. The family needed one. The family, meaning I think capitalized, the family needed one. It will be you. Check. That's the plan. Like in uh, my big fat Greek wedding, when the parents decide what the children will do for their jobs. Right. The end. But when Desi was 15, he came home after a card game and got a frantic call from his father. There had been a military coup and all the people that had been in power were now targeted for either execution or imprisonment. Get your mother and get out of the house. Father's friend, the president of Cuba, had just been overthrown. It was a revolution. Desi and his mother hid at an uncle's house as the news came in little by little. They've burned all five of the houses. This is the level with which we're dealing. All five Mm -hmm. of the houses. They've taken everything. Here's this. More dire They are seizing men associated with the old regime and executing them in the cemetery for ease of disposal. It was not good. So he needed to get out of Cuba as quickly as possible. Dazzy's father ended up fleeing separately to Florida. Um, A lot of people with foresight had bought houses and moved all their money to Florida ahead of time. So he took advantage of Um, Some of those connections. Desi, his mother, and a couple family members did manage to escape, and they quickly as possible worked their way to Miami. But the family had nothing when they arrived in the United States. Desi made it to Miami, and, um, you know, he got some jobs working at a pet store, etc. But he soon found his calling when he started playing with local bands. Latin music was a craze, a craze, a craze in America. And so, you know, rumba, mambo, conga, Desi had the beat and the looks, and whoo, did he have the ladies. Man. (laughs) It was a perfect place for him. I mean, actually, I read one thing that credited him with introducing the conga to, you know, the conga line, one, two, three, kick, one, two, three, kick. He introduced it in Miami, and it spread across the country. That may have been a bit of publicity. But I like the image. (laughs) He toured in New York and became quite the nightclub draw. Unfortunately, his family kind of fractured. His father abandoned his mother. He published an ad in the paper. I just don't know where my wife is. You know, after the revolution in Cuba, I guess we're divorced now. The end. And married another woman. And Desi took responsibility for his mother. And he really never forgave his father. He thought he had acted dishonorably. Like, having a mistress is one thing. But you, I mean, you took a vow to support your wife and to be there for her and the two worlds are completely separate and to leave your wife and marry another woman in public in such a way it was dishonorable and he was really mad you know which seems comedic given his future but whatever 
<laughs> well, no. I mean, he he might have acted in one way, but he, you know, he was loyal to his wife in certain regards. Well, he was cast in a Broadway show called Too Many Girls, conveniently yeah. enough for our previous sentence, where he played a football player from Argentina, and he was invited to go ahead and repeat his role at RKO Studios for the movie version. And so he bought... This is so him. He bought a fancy car and hired a uniform driver and he showed up on the lot in some kind of style, so much style that even though very few people, very few high ranking people were even allowed to set one tire of their car on the lot. Here's Desi in his fancy car and he just waved in a commanding fashion and they just opened the gates. <laughs> and there's Desi. And so our stories now intersect. This is probably a good time to take a break. And when we come back, we'll find out what happens next in this love story. So we are back. Lucille and Desi have met. And at first, of course, they were Dizzy or Daisy and... And Lucy, we meet Lucy for the very first time. Desi and Desi alone called her Lucy, which is why we have not done it. So no one, I mean no one, thought this romance would last. The cast of the show they were in had a betting poll going as to when they'd break up. And the longest guess was six months. So that guy won. <laughs> um, <laughs> all of her well-connected friends warned her, you know, this guy is using you for your connections, which is kind of a compliment, you know. And it's yeah, that's really. another one of those one of those milestone ladder steps. <laughs> well, some even called him a gigolo, so that's inappropriate. But still, they warned her, like, dude, mm -mm -mm. so much of a name as F. Scott Fitzgerald, who lived in her building at one point, made a game of guessing whether Lucille or Desi would win the latest arguments. I think he played a little drinking game, among all the other drinking games he played, uh, with who was going to win the argument. Lucille's loyal maid, Harriet, used to give him the hairy eyeball whenever he came over. His charm had no power over Harriet, by the way, and she did not trust him. Never trusted him. <laughs> but her family liked him because they were like, well, if this is what you want, this you will embrace him. They were the most... Jealous people. I mean, Desi and Lucille, not her family. An account of their courtship seems exhausting to me. I hate relationships like this where there's so much drama, like yeah. accusations and taunting and pretending not to answer the phone when you know he's calling and like acting like you were out when you were really at home doing your nails and long distance midnight phone calls checking up. It just seems exhausting to me. He took out an old girlfriend, Betty Grable. Ah, girlfriend stretching it. Flame. Thing. I don't know. Thing. Yeah. Um, he took her out on purpose one night to make Lucy mad. I'm sorry. I don't like that. I don't like it from either of them. It's so stressful to me. Do you think? I don't know. No, I, I completely agree with you. You would think that uh, the courtship would be uh, an indicator of what the rest of the relationship would be like. And in this case, it certainly was. Well, Lucille was now making $12,000 a movie. That's even epic in today's money. Um, she was making more than her male co-stars in some cases. Desi had just signed a contract for three movies. Their careers were going great, but this love affair was just something else. I don't even know. Desi decided that there was so much drama that marriage must be the answer. Please tell me where the logic is. <laughs> Well, it's a, well, when you're not, okay, I can, I can, I think I can, I got this one. When you're not married and you don't have that um, 
tangible connection. If you are a jealous person, your mind goes everywhere. You don't have the validation that that relationship is as strong as you think it is. You know but what I mean? It's, it's If you have to be that jealous, then it's not. End of story. Right? Oh, well, I would say. But when they were together and good, it was very, very good. You know, so maybe the thinking was if we got married, we would be together and it will be very, very good all the time. Well, he persuaded his Lucy. It was time, even though she said, can we just live together? And he acted shocked like, no, I am. I am Catholic. That is not how we do things, isn't it? (laughs) Okay. He took her to Woolworths for a costume ring. He picked up the Justice of the Peace and they got married. In Greenwich, Connecticut, by the way. Yes. They went away and got married. I'm from Connecticut and apparently Connecticut is the marriage capital of the world. I don't know. I think there wasn't a waiting period. No. Oh, there was. They had to actually had to get special dispensation from a judge. There was a five day waiting period. But they rushed it along because they, I mean, it was that, that uh, you know, the Desi, of course this can be done. Let's just get this done now. We don't need to wait. Okay. Well, they and rushed they- back after the wedding just in time to only be a little late for him to go on stage at the Roxy Theater with his band. And the audience loved the explanation and gave them a standing ovation. And that seems like a good omen. That does. Others weren't so optimistic. From the newspapers, really sarcastic, and I quote, Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz obliged the RKO publicity department by getting married on Saturday. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Harriet the maid answered the phone when Lucille called and said, now who did we marry again? (laughs) Come on. Kind of like Harriet the maid. I like her a lot. They bought a ranch outside of town in the valley, uh, which is no longer there, although I will tell you, there is a house that purports to be that house, but it isn't. Um, That house that claims to be the Lucille and Desi, you know, love nest ranch house was actually built nine years after they bought this one. I'm sorry to say it's gone. The 1970s developers um, took it down. But anyway, they named it Desilu, similar to the way Douglas Fairbanks and Mary Pickford had named their house Pickfair, and future generations would have Benifer. <laughs> what are you, what are you in, in Chris? <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Graham. Okay, yes. <laughs> so they kept chickens and pigs and a cow that would stick its head in the Dutch door and moo until Desi petted it, which I think is adorable. Yes. Yeah, Desi thought they would provide for the farm. And honestly, uh, let's see, where did I read somewhere? The pig got to 400 pounds and died of natural causes and no one ever ate it kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, um, they they weren't so good with the chickens either. No. Well, they were really busy. I mean, you got to give livestock proper attention and they really didn't have the time. Plus, he was using all of his energy to be possessive and demanding on her. <laughs> he would refuse to let her ride alone in a taxi um, his food preferences, that would be Cuban food, which I would actually go for. That would be cool. Were what they ate. But on the flip side, he was also writing her love songs and singing them to her, just like he did to his, you know, to his mom back in the day. Well, and he would do things like she would come home and it was her birthday and he had 40 musicians lining the driveway singing happy birthday to her when she came home. I mean, the grand romantic gesture was his forte for sure. Oh, yeah. He was Um, a very good producer, I guess. So they used to film themselves kind of in domestic bliss, walking hand in hand and like gardening and looking for all the world like a couple in love. But I have to tell you, it was not long before Lucille started to sense 
that Desi might not stick around. It infuriated him to be known as Lucille Ball's husband. Like he was embarrassed to, I don't know, to shine less brightly than she, which reminds me of The Crown. Did you watch The Crown about uh, Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip? Oh, yes. I love that. seems to be the same kind of thing. Like, wait, you're my wife. You must defer to me. And to her, I don't know, credit to his defense, Lucille even said that the way he was brought up, Papa was the boss of the house. And she intended to go ahead and accommodate that because, you know, it's the 1950s cult of the housewife. And that was kind of how it went, or at least pretend he's the boss. Do you know what I mean? Like, she intended to defer to a point to him in the house. Right. I guess. But he couldn't. He could not get on board with the fact that she was more known than him. She had paid her dues. She had worked hard to get there over Mm -hmm. and over, and he had just gotten to Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. She'd been working at it since she was a teenager, and he's Desi in Desi Lou, you know? He just kept trying to get his name there first. Luzi's not the same. (laughs) Can you, I mean, come on now. Marketing-wise, you don't want a studio called Luzi. Or or uh, or Balnez. Balnez is not good either. <laughs> no, that's true. But they had been quarreling since they were dating, and those quarrels just escalated. It got to a point that they would have a fight, and he would just take off. He took off so often and went to sleep somewhere else that they built like a little cabin on their property, so he'd have a quote dog house to go to. Well, and he kept threatening to just go and take his show on the road, and she, God, she loved him. She loved him so very much. You know what are you gonna do? You're in a weird place. The Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941, and America was at war. And Desi was not yet a citizen, so could not as yet be called up to fight. But he did join up with a trainload of entertainers, big name ones, you know, some of them, to entertain the troops who were in training all over the U.S. And I'm sorry to say that Desi openly and unashamedly cheated on Lucille almost daily, right in front of a whole trainload of... I mean, they might not have been her friends exactly, but definitely her, what, work colleagues? Peers? Work I peers? guess. I mean... Co-workers? The sympathies definitely tipped in Lucille's direction. I can't even understand behavior like that. He knew it would get back to her. What is the deal? Was that a power thing? Or was it a libido thing? Maybe it's going back to, you know, what he's what he would have, you know, to his dad. It was like, you know, you can step out on your wife, but you don't pretend she doesn't exist or she's not your wife so maybe he was cultural i say with a big question mark at the end i don't know well meanwhile lucille moved to really what was considered the big time mgm that is the big daddy that is that place was so known for quality that you got some legitimacy on your resume just by being there this is the studio that gave her her trademark red hair the better for technicolor don't you know Yes. They called it, it was called Tango Red, and it was a shade between strawberry and carrot. (laughs) She made no bones about hating it, at least at first, by the way. Well, you know, you're blonde for so long that you just kind of get used to it, says the woman who colors her hair. (laughs) That's funny. Well, she starred at MGM in a genuine hit called Dewberry Was a Lady, yes, in which she played both a modern nightclub singer and Madame Dewberry. So we're getting closer. 
We're getting closer to stardom. Interesting. The trailer that she was given was the same trailer that Norma Shearer used when she played Marie Antoinette in 1938. The Marie Antoinette story and family grouping was all one at the MGM oh, studio. I love it. Desi was called up partway through the war, and due to a knee injury, he was actually in the United States for the whole war. He was teaching soldiers to read. I guess there was a lot of illiteracy in the 40s, which I didn't really realize until I watched A League of Their Own with my mother, which is about women, girls, mm-hmm. mostly rural in the 1940s that went to be in the um, women's... What is that? The girls baseball league? Doesn't matter. Anyway, um, there was a point made that some of the girls couldn't read. Right. And I looked at my mom like, really? And she goes, oh, yeah, in the country, plenty. You know, to say that he taught soldiers to read also sounds like a little bit more glamorous than what he also did. The things that he was doing was at a army hospital, and it kind of sounded like he was a macho candy striper. You know, the type of duties he had. Right. He wasn't home and he wasn't he wasn't acting. He wasn't singing. He wasn't doing his theatrical work. And he He purposely did not use any of his weekend passes to come home. That makes me so mad. And Lucille got some news that he was having affairs again. And so she hired a lawyer. She filed for divorce, alerted the press and waited waited and at the very very last minute like the night before she was to go to court and get her papers they made up over dinner made up over dinner etc they woke up in bed the next day together that was the etc and (laughs) lucy was getting dressed he's like where are you going she's like well the public expects me to get divorced i bought this new hat i'd really like it photographed i'm gonna go pick up those papers (laughs) i mean i guess what do i say consummation invalidated the that decree, I guess it did automatically. Yeah, oh, it absolutely did. It, it, it was, she went and got it and then she came back and hubba hubba, it was nullified. That's what the kids are calling it these days. Well, my goodness. <laughs> well, her career took a significant downturn. MGM just couldn't seem to find the right place for her, I guess. Um, nobody thought that funny ladies were going to make them the money. They wanted glamorous dames. The end. They they couldn't find a place for funny ladies, which seems like up until very recently, a very common problem. And um, yeah, I have to admit, you know, she was also in her 30s at this point. I well, can't help but think that had a part of it that played into it. Well, if you're glamorous daming it and you mm-hmm. do think 36 is over the hill, then I can see, I guess, why MGM's like, ah, let's cut her loose, you know. Yeah. So they released her from her contract and Lucille Ball in her mind, all this evidence of, you know, hard work and all these projects, all these connections in her mind. Okay, I'm never going to be a star. I have failed. I have failed. And I'm sorry to say she worried the most that Desi would leave her, especially after the war ended. And Desi discovered that some new guy named Ricardo Montalban had kind of peed a circle around all of the Latin work. So he was... Desi was pretty much over it, you know? I have to stop you for a second just because you said Peter Circle and I wrote established himself as the Latin male star. <laughs> well, you know, whatever it was, he claimed it. Let's just say. Yeah, he sure did. So Desi decided it was back to the band for him and things were very rocky again. Very rocky. Lucille's constant companion was her maid Harriet. And at times <laughs> she was her best friend in the whole world because the Desi... Lucille relationship boiled down to this. Why can't you stay with me? 
why can't you quit films and just be my wife? And that is like unanswerable. Those right. are two things that cannot coexist. Lucille was never actually out of work. She was not under contract anywhere, but her phone kept ringing with stage plays and movies and most interestingly, a radio show called My Favorite Husband, in which Lucille played the comedic, I have to say madcap, I can say mm-hmm. madcap, wife of a Midwest bank manager. And here's the thing. She was so very good at that part. She let herself go. She added props only for the benefit of the studio audience, obviously. It's a radio program. Right. Um, whose immediate response to her kind of comedy, to her words, to her timing, gave her so much energy. And I'm I'm wondering if you know how you see people in old photographs sitting so close to their old radios and they would just use their imaginations in their own houses and and those voices are kind of in their rooms. Mm-hmm. Their own houses, and maybe almost like podcasting, actually, is what I'm That's thinking. That's what I was suddenly. thinking. Yeah, exactly. The The audience felt that this character was part of their family. It was this character was their friend. And they would recognize her for this part more than almost any of her movie parts. People really took her into their hearts. When she suffered a miscarriage and then another one, she got thousands thousands of letters from fans of sympathy and love, which she carefully answered every one of, even though it took her so long. She was so touched by that outpouring. Everyone saw her as their friend and they wanted to let her know how bad they felt. She was in her, uh, you know, her upper thirties at this point, and she had wanted always to have children. So to have these miscarriages and so publicly must have been just crushing. She didn't know where her future was going. It was always up in the air, you know, her next job, what's going to be. So, you know, writing to all those people who cared about her, that had to be extremely therapeutic. Well, CBS thought they might go ahead and develop My Favorite Husband for television. And Lucy was in if Desi Arnaz could play her husband. And I think she thought it was a way to keep him around. You know, no way, said the studio. You've got to be kidding me. You know, no one is going to buy an all-American girl married to a Cuban. And she'd be like... Waving her hand in his direction. Hello, my real life. I know. For 10 years. They had been married for 10 years. But all the studio people saw was interracial marriage. Oh, my God, no. So to help with convincing the studio that Desi and Lucille could be a good team, their agent sent them out on kind of a circuit playing live acts in movie houses before the show. To great success, might I add. And I'm not really sure how this was Supposed to convince anyone about the TV show? I don't know how this translates except for Goodwill. I always was trying to make this connection. Well, it was Goodwill and it was also putting them in front of audiences together and having audiences accept them as a as a married couple, which is what they were. And the one thing that the studio said that nobody would believe they could accept. If there was outcry about the mixed marriage, that would be the time to cancel it. But since there was not. Right. Okay. They were very successful in this. This was kind of like a vaudeville act. You know, he played his music and she did a lot of her physical comedy. Very popular. So the network caved and at least let them film the pilot, which was then called The Audition, um, which you can still see online, by the way, at YouTube. And it is pretty different from the show as it ended up. Sort of like Big Bang Theory, I guess, had a completely different pilot or... A uh, new girl had a character in the pilot that 
went away in the first episode, that kind of thing. I mean, I guess pilots, you know, Gilligan's Island was considerably different in the pilot than in the series. So you never know. Gilmore Girls pilot was filmed in Canada instead of Los Angeles. So (laughs) anyway, the network found it very hard to get a sponsor. They shopped it around. And for half price, Philip Morris cigarettes took it on. Though I have to tell you that both the sponsor and the network said that Desi, the Cuban, was only on trial. And if audiences hated him as much as they hated him, he would find his lines whittled down so far he'd be invisible. How about it? Well, whatever. That's a problem for another day, really. But the writers got around it by making his act pretty integral to the plot of the show. So... Yeah, it was kind of key. So they kind of outsmarted that scenario from the beginning. But they had to overcome some technical problems first and some labor problems, both with the camera union and with, hey, Lucille's pregnant again. So there's a technical problem and a labor problem (laughs) all wrapped in one. On that list of like stressful activities, even good things like marriage or getting a new job rank really high on the stress charts. So your own show. Your own baby after three miscarriages might be a pretty high number on that chart. Yeah, I would I would think so. But Desi was amazing at negotiating their deal, mainly that Desi and Lucille owned all the negatives of the shows. Monetarily quite lucrative, Mr. Arnaz. I'm going to give you some claps right now. Clap oh, claps. yeah. Well, you should give him some more claps. I mean, just for production value, because that's you know, we kind of love that. Um, he knew that if the show was filmed in New York, which is where CBS wanted it to be, that by the time it got to California, it would look like crap, quite honestly. It's like those videos on YouTube that are just a camera pointed at a television set. Ah. That was the technology at the time to get a TV show broadcast across the country. You know, a camera would film the show on one screen and broadcast it out as far as it would go, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So he said, hey, what if we film it in California? Because we're not going to New York. There's, there's, there's no question about that. We'll film it in, in California on film ahead of time instead of live. It was going to cost them a lot more money to do that. So again, he's negotiating. He takes a cut in pay to be able to um, have that particular technology at his disposal to keep the quality of the show high. And he also said, we want to use three cameras. Up until this point, TV shows had been filmed with just one. Now, this is the early 1950s. It was just the very beginning of the golden age of TV. Like, for instance, in 1950, there was only three million TV sets in America. But within the next three years, that number tripled. So he wanted to, you know, be forward thinking on the production of the show. And they agreed because Desilu Productions owned the show. They were doing everything. It was someone at CBS who had kind of invented the three camera format, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of an a nerd and his team, you know, but Desi was the first one to embrace that and recognize that and want to use that in his show actively. It was someone else who had come up with the idea. Right. But Desi was the forward thinking producer that embraced the technology and really kind of made it standard for many years to come. Mm -hmm. So right after their baby, Lucy, L-U-C-I-E, Lucy, who up until her birth, Lucille thought was going to be named Susan. So she'd been calling, you know how you call the baby in your tummy (laughs) names. So you call her Susan, little Susan, little Susan. And then when she came out, nope, Desi wrote Lucy on the birth certificate. (laughs) 
Lucy Desiree. She had the same, exactly the same name as her mom, except it was spelled differently. Yeah, Susan would have been way better because by <laughs> the early 1960s, it would be the most popular name in America. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so I'm a twin, right? My parents are extremely creative people. And yet, when they had their first two children, they named them the number one and number two names on the list. For popularity and my brother was a third he was named after my dad and my grandfather <laughs> oh well oh that's funny yeah i'd be interested in some creative names of our listeners so if you have one chime in yeah we should do a running list on facebook just put a post up we'll put a post up when we do the show and then you could just add your names we could could we start with beckett I'm just we could totally are you kidding yes we and susan won't appear on the knit list anywhere <laughs> that is hilarious so uh right after little baby lucy was born when lucille was 39 i mean almost 40 i think she was like less than a month from 40 but let's just say 39 work finally began on i love lucy once the new mother was recovered I love Lucy. It's a big icon. It's mostly what we know Lucille Ball for and Desi Arnaz. So before filming, there has to be casting. And Lucille was a little taken aback by the person cast as Lucy's landlady, Ethel Mertz. Because Lucille had envisioned her as kind of this elderly, former showgirl type, like a naughty old lady, you know, with a scratchy mm -hmm. smoker voice. And here is this... Hourglass-figured blonde woman a year younger than she was, not really so happy with this. I thought you'd be older, said Lucy. And then, <laughs> of course, Vivian Vance is like, uh-oh, I, I look frumpy on camera. I photograph frumpy, don't worry. And I'm very <laughs> sorry to say that Lucy was not very friendly to her at first. She would embarrass her in front of people, um, kind of respond coldly when Vivian spoke. And when she was asked how she stayed so positive through the whole experience... Vivian Vance, later her best friend, said, and I quote, if this show is a hit, it will make me a star and I will love that bitch if it's the last thing I do. <laughs> I, you know, what? I love their relationship after the show, you know, I, the, how they, they just really became best friends later. But this part, yeah, it must have been kind of turmoil on the set. I have read things that were supposedly put into Vivian Vance's contract about, let's see, ha having to stay 20 pounds heavier than Lucille or not posing for any glamorous press photos and not allowed to wear a girdle on the screen. And I couldn't confirm any of that. But if you do look at the first few episodes, the costumer took care to give her pretty unflattering costumes. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree. Well, I can't remember if we mentioned this in part one, but just a quick aside that um, I'm not sure if this was for the pilot or not, but Lucy and Ricky Ricardo were actually, uh, he was supposed to be Larry Lopez. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really glad they changed it because Ricky Ricardo is way better. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, anyway, the first episode aired, um, though not the first one filmed, actually, which had some technical problems they wanted to iron out. It was the first impression they wanted it to be good. So the very first one aired was the girls want to go to a nightclub. They set up all the classic tropes of this show. Guys versus girls. The guys, to celebrate their anniversary, wanted to go to a boxing match. And, of course, the ladies wanted to go to a nightclub and be fancy and drink cocktails. And so they dared each other. Okay, go get other dates to go to your thing then. The ladies dress up as horrible hillbillies and the guys find out and hijinks ensue. Yeah, Desi <gasps> always turns the tables on them. 
like all of Lucy's schemes. We had it all. Marital discord, funny accents, both the hillbillies and Ricky Ricardo's. Costumery, mm-hmm. mistaken identity, physical comedy, and the audience freaking loved it. Well, to us, that seems like like tropes, but to them, it was new and exciting. Well, this is the originator of the trope. And as I recall, exactly. I do believe that the TV trope site was set up to start the year that Lucy um, did I Love Lucy because they wanted to include her and her show and Desi's show in all of their tropes as the originator of many of the tropes on their site. Their entry is very, very, very long. (laughs) Everything in that show was scripted. It seems like they were maybe doing some improv, but that wasn't the case. They blocked everything out. Lucille needed to have everything scripted so she knew what was coming. Not only her lines, but the pratfalls and the prop work and even her expressions were written into the script. They had Mm. names like light bulb, small rabbit, credentials and blue steel oh i made up that last one (laughs) i was like i didn't hear i didn't read about that one that's cool (laughs) (laughs) no that's a zoolander reference oh yeah i know i know there was actually rules in the writing room for the show um they were the humor could never be unkind and only lucy could tease ricky about his accent Neither one could flirt with anybody else. Desi could never be, and this is in Lucille's words, a nincompoop husband. And if Lucy was going to do something that made him look kind of foolish, the audience needed to know that he was in on it. So I wonder how, okay, so there's the episode where they do the job swap. I think it's the chocolate the chocolate mm-hmm. episode, you know, where they're stuffing chocolates into their bras and stuff. So Desi and Fred are cooking rice and falling all over the kitchen and wearing crinkly, fuzzy aprons. I don't know. Is that not a nincompoop? I don't know. I guess I don't know what a nincompoop is. <laughs> <laughs> Did she mean a dirt bag? I know. I just like if he was going to he was never the one that looked stupid. It's in the end. The audience was he always like knew about like he always caught on. He caught wind. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Well, he was always the one that unmasked the scheme. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and this show had the usual background of family life in the 1950s. And yet, you know, what the heck was going on? (laughs) A play on the ideal, maybe. Mm Mm-hmm. I think we talked about this in our 1950s Housewife episode, which I strongly recommend going to listen to. Well, this show was a force, a force, or as I should say, a just reward for all those years of underappreciated hard work. There were 16 million TVs tuned to this show each week by the end of 1951, which is about half the TVs literally in America that year. Anywhere. (laughs) I have two favorite episodes, and I have to confess that the first one is totally not original, but I like the episode called Vitamita Vegemin so much. For those of you who aren't familiar, here is the little plot line. Lucy Ricardo gets a chance to be a product pitch girl for a product that reminds me quite a lot of Lydia Pinkham's tonic, you know, episode 52 of the History Chicks. Pep, vigor, popularity, she's supposed to say, among other things. And then she's supposed to take a spoonful on camera, but it's so gross and her face is so funny that they keep having to do retake 
after retake. And unbeknownst to Lucy, it's about 25% alcohol. So she's doing shots, basically. And <laughs> hijinks ensue. Um, my favorite drunk line of hers is, do you pop out at parties? <laughs> the thing a lot of people don't know about this vitamin vegemin skit is that the whole thing is based on Red Skelton's guzzling gin commercial that he used to do. So just uh, in case you think that everything on the Lucille Ball show was original, that was an homage to that vaudeville skit. Well, she uh. was nominated for an Emmy in the same category as Red Skelton, the man in question, who actually won. But when he won, his speech included the words, you gave it to the wrong redhead. <laughs> it was kind of like a reverse Kanye, you know. Uh, I'm going to let you finish, Lucy, but Lucy had the best show of all time, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, I just thought it it really showed that it wasn't copying. It was an homage. And, uh, you know, everyone recognized that, even the guy who had originated that bit. Uh, you know what? I have some more stuff here about the first season. Okay. After the first episode aired, the sponsor, which was Philip Morris, they tried to back out. The president of the company thought the show was silly and boring. They talked him back into it. You know, let's just leave it for a few episodes. And it's a good thing they did because every week more and more people tuned into it. Uh, the New York Times and Variety actually gave it really bad reviews, too. The critics never I liked the movie and the people always liked the movie. Yeah, they were like, basically, just don't ask too many questions and just go along with it. <laughs> you know? There's so many plot holes in here. Just skip over those. <laughs> you know? Taxis disappeared from the streets of New York while it was being shown. Marshall Fields in Chicago, which had been open Monday nights, closed and switched to being open Thursday night. Phone calls slowed down. Uh Apparently, water flush rates dropped in the country because so many people were tuned into watching I Love Lucy. And they all went to the bathroom at the same time during the commercials. That's right. They dropped like through the thing and then all of a sudden there's this huge spike in them. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I wonder, are there events now that are like that? Like the Super Bowl, I would imagine, is like that. But really, people aren't together for too many other Mm -mm. Too many other adventures. I mean, you know, there's a percentage of people that watch the Oscars and whatnot, but um, isn't that funny? Like, America doesn't act like that anymore. We're not all tuned to the same media anymore. Mm -mm. <laughs> Is that progress? I don't know. My son and I were just talking about how every single person now can tailor their media preferences to exactly what they want. He oh. was kind of baffled that <laughs> you just kind of had to show up and whatever was on was on. And he's like, what do you mean? Well, somebody else was the boss of what you watched. You could either choose yeah. to watch it or not watch it, but you didn't get to pick other things to watch. And he just couldn't believe it. And so. <laughs> and if you wanted to, if you, you know, if you were sick or whatever and you missed it and you wanted to see that episode, you, there was no way you, you had to wait and see if it came up in reruns. Okay. And also, how about this, fellow Gen Xers? We both had the flu. And so we were genuinely couldn't get off the couch sick. I still had a spark of humor in me and I turned on the TV to. I turned on the TV to Price is Right. <laughs> and my son is like, what is this? The only thing you could watch in the 70s if you were homesick from school. Just game shows and soap operas. Oh, uh, so funny. Yeah, he gave me the dirty eyeball, though, and we quickly switched over to the movie channel. But I want to save my other favorite for a minute, I think, until I talk about two not good things. Did you know that's called uh, a sandwich? Okay. I have a feeling we have the same kind of sandwich. Okay. Because I, I was waiting for you to go, what was your favorite episode? And I was going to say, it doesn't come up for a little bit. So are we ready for the bad things? 
Yes, we can go with the bad thing. Well, okay, number one bad thing. Remember, way back, way back, when the whole family went down to register as communists to vote, just to please Grandpa Hunt. He he even had a communist meeting at her house, actually. Well, the House Un-American Activities Committee got hold of this information and summoned her to a hearing. And they had ruined a lot of people in Hollywood. You know, Charlie Chaplin had to leave the country. Orson Welles, Lena Horne, Burl Ives, Gypsy Rose Lee... I mean, this is not a joke. Her explanation seemed to pacify them and was basically like, oh, I had an eccentric grandpa. He lost his house because of this accident in his yard. We felt so guilty. That was the least we could do to pay him back. And, you know, you can back up that there was an incident in the yard with newspaper accounts and this and that. And they seemed they seemed to accept her answers. Spoiler alert, this time. They this seemed time. to expect her answers. And she was simply allowed to go and no press was alerted at all. That's right. It was secret. It was, it was, nobody found out about it. And, you know, we talk about, we talked about it in the Dorothy Parker episode uh, 55 and 56. We talked about this time in history, but I think part of it was, this was the end of it. Like it wasn't in the late forties when the worst of things were happening, mm -hmm. but it was still, it was still lingering. They were like trying to keep their jobs, I guess, and sweep up as many people who had anything communist in their backgrounds. But yeah, she got off pretty easily this time. So the second bad thing is that she had sort of a nervous breakdown under all the pressure to the point that old Harriet, her maid, was afraid to leave her at home alone. Lucille never wanted to be alone very much after this. In fact, she was a perfectionist and also this great, this great success. She had a, the number one show on TV. It's sort of all of a sudden, after all that struggle was really messing with her. I don't know if it was imposter syndrome or or what it was, but she, as many of us do with the self-help book, she consulted the author himself because she has the star power. Um, <laughs> it was called The Power of Positive Thinking and really kind of treated him as her, I hate to say spiritual guru because he was in fact a preacher and I don't mean to belittle that aspect of his personality, but she kind of treated his his philosophies as guiding guideposts for her life to the point where she even kind of got used to a form of meditation where she was just kind of being quiet within herself when all the bad feelings started to come. She would write notes to herself and tape them on her mirror notes like, is this good for Lucy? And be kind to yourself today. I think that's great. I mean, counselors and psychologists teach people that now, you know, cognitive behavior therapy, just to when you feel those negative things coming on, how to address them, how to recognize them as being, you know, harmful to you and how to overcome them. It was bad that she had the kind of that breakdown, but it's good that she found this um, philosophy for dealing with life. Well, and then here's the other good thing. Here's the bread on the sandwich. Though at first, <laughs> it seemed like the end of the world. Lucille was pregnant again. This dream, this pinnacle could be gone. TV was a weird place. Lucy and Ricky Ricardo had twin beds. Everybody on TV had twin beds. Pleasantville mm -hmm. made fun of the twin beds. Do you love that movie, <laughs> Pleasantville? Because I really do. I do. I do love that movie. Well, and even though people named Desi and Lucille were married in real life, someone turning up pregnant meant that at one point people named Lucy and Ricky Ricardo were in the same twin bed, which, woo, people could not handle that. <laughs> and I don't know why. It's so crazy. But the writers decided to just go ahead and incorporate it in. And in fact, the other producer was 
joyful at the novelty. And the sponsors in the network were just really jumpy and not happy. Oh, can't she just stand behind furniture? Can't she just carry a grocery bag? Yeah. Why do we got to do this? And as a compromise, the writers had a minister and a priest and a rabbi who did not walk into a bar. Instead, <laughs> That's funny. That's exactly how I ever read to. <laughs> they read through all the scripts and signed off on all the scripts for real. And it seemed to me that they were very puzzled that the sponsors in the network would not allow the word pregnant to be said. It was expecting. Even though right. the religious um, committee had no problem with that word as it is a state of being for women, yeah. no, <laughs> the network was the one that couldn't handle that. I think I think that was its first TV show that started to do that. It was used expecting expecting. It wasn't actually the first TV show where there was a woman that had a baby, but there was um using the word expecting. Which brings me to my other favorite episode and maybe Susan, your favorite episode from what I'm hearing? Yes, it is. It's so sweet. Lucy is enciente. Is that how you pronounce it? Uh I don't en- even know how to say that. Enciente, I think. I was thinking Spanish. No. No. Francais. Oh, ancient. Because the E would be silent. Oh. It's Lucy is ancient. Um, Even then, then they're not going to (laughs) say pregnant in the title. But it is so sweet. Um, She tries to tell him all along during the episode that she's pregnant, but she just can't find the opportunity. So she goes to his show that night and she sends an anonymous request to sing a song called We're Having a Baby, My Baby and Me for a woman who wants to tell her husband that she's pregnant, but it's anonymous. So Ricky's like, okay. And he starts singing actually Rockabye Baby. And he starts going around to every single couple that are sitting at the table. He's like, is it you? And they're all like, no, no, no. And finally he gets to Lucy's table and he's still singing. And she's sitting there with this big grin on her face, just waiting for him to get it. And then when he does get it, he just gets choked up and flustered and the really cool thing is they both kind of cry and the whole audience is crying and I was crying and they were really crying because they were bringing up the emotions from when they did find out that they were pregnant because remember she had her first baby at 40 so that was a huge deal in their life they wanted to redo that scene so he didn't screw up the lyrics to the song and the audience was like no 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 do it that way. So they did in the final cut. And it's so sweet. We'll put the episode on our, or at least that scene in the show notes. When Ricky says, it's me. <laughs> I just got teary. And so did the audience. He's so freaking cute. I know. He's like, I want you to meet my mother. I mean, my wife. And that was just, that was one of the places where he screwed up. <laughs> well, it was so cute. And then they, this show, unlike any other show before it, had taped before a live audience of about 300 people and every freaking person in that audience, which included Lucy's own mother almost every day. Nobody had enough handkerchiefs for this, wiping their sleeves down their faces, blowing their nose and their elbows. I mean, it was emotional. It was so touching. So, oh, 44 million people watched the episode that naturally followed this episode where little Ricky was born. More people actually watched that episode than watched Eisenhower's inauguration the very next day. What they had done, because obviously they knew when she was going to be delivering because she had a planned C-section. So they timed out the shows. So the last six of that season 
followed along with her pregnancy. So she was pregnant, not behind any tables or books or pots or anything, you know, to hide it. She was pregnant for the last six episodes and they timed it to be exactly the same day that she delivered in real life. She delivered on television and people who were already having a problem separating the Ricardos from the Arnezes. That was gone. The line was, there was no line anymore. (laughs) And Lucy and baby Ricky were on the very first copy of TV Guide. Now, for the young among you, I have to explain what TV Guide was. (laughs) TV Guide was a magazine, an actual piece of um, printed material that you had to refer to if you wanted to see what was going to be on the television. Right. You could get the free one in your newspaper, but you paid for the magazine, which had extra stories in it and it it was on nicer paper and it was smaller so you could fit it on a side table. (laughs) So to give Lucille the rest she needed, Desi pioneered a completely new thing. Just show some old episodes, he told the network. They could not comprehend. The audience had already seen these. They're not going to stand for that. Won't they, time travelers? Uh, I am through the entirety of Bunheads four times. I'm sure there's shows you've seen more than once. Uh, yeah, you're through Bunheads four times. There's only one season of it. It's not that much of a commitment. The The guys that did the Gilmore guys are following along with Bunheads, which is the creator of Gilmore Girls' show about ballet dancers. You can watch it for free on Freeform. And so I've been through it. I mean, admittedly, sometimes at work, just listening to it, mostly, yeah. actually, because yeah. I never really sit down. But um, yeah, it's super fun, super good. I wish there would have been a season two. Well, Desi himself had therefore invented the concept of the rerun. Ironic, actually, since I Love Lucy's been in near continuous syndication since it was out the first time. Which is only possible because they put it on film. And not the kinescope. Like that mm-hmm. I had wanted in the first place. Not only that, but Philip Morris, that sponsor, remember the sponsor that had wanted out after the first show, <laughs> by the way, re-upped for over $8 million. And MGM, the primo movie studio, signed Desi and Lucille to play newlyweds in a movie for more money than they'd ever paid anyone before. But... The roller coaster goes down as well as up. Those congressmen of the House Un-American Activities Committee, remember them, smelled mm-hmm. the delicious aroma of publicity, and they reopened Lucy's case. All the documents were supposed to be secret, but of course, they were leaked to the press. I believe on purpose by the congressman. Can't prove that. Oh, I completely agree with you. This time, her brother was actually called in to testify. He was living in a different state, and he had to come back to... California to testify in this quote secret unquote but it was only secret for like a day Lucia was listening to Walter Winchell that night and she heard him say what top-rated television comedian has been confronted with her membership to the Communist Party and Lucille's first thought was oh my god they think Imogene Coco is a communist <laughs> she didn't even realize it was her like right from the start but the newspapers did I mean she it she picked up on it pretty quick uh lucille ball named red you know there were reporters camped out in her street it was big big news well she was terrified and for good reason the the hysteria over quote communists or reds was really at its height and even though her 30 some pages of answers had cleared her from being blackballed by hollywood itself 
there was still the court of public opinion, the sponsor, and the network, and Lucille herself were just kind of suspended, waiting to see which way the wind would blow. This really could tear everything apart again. Like, if the audience turned against her because of the, you know, Mm -hmm. the controversy, but the public loved Lucy, and they loved Lucille, and during the first live show taping after the news broke... Desi, instead of doing his usual comedic opening, gave a speech that included the phrase, I love this, the mm-hmm. only thing read about my wife is her hair, and even that we're not so sure about. That went <laughs> viral, as you'd say now. The audience was so responsive during that show, they had to cut out all their laughs and replace them with taped laughs from a previous show because they like <laughs> laughed so hard to show their support for Lucy that they couldn't use them. In that speech, uh, Desi talked to them about uh, he had left Cuba because of communism. Could you imagine if they didn't buy it, his life ruined twice because of communism? So Lucille had won. Love is the most powerful magic, as we learned in Harry Potter. And so on we go. Desilu's studios was making about $10 million a year. I mean, not all profit, but they were bringing in $10 million a year. And produced other shows on the premises on behalf of other TV and radio companies who were kind of looking to outsource tenants, you know, and clients, mostly commercials at this point. But the popular show Our Miss Brooks was filmed at Desilu Studios. And get this. I Love Lucy merchandise was selling like crazy. Lucille even said that it was possible to furnish a house and dress a family with I Love Lucy merchandise. This there was everything furniture clothing if the ricardos could have it then you could have it in your house too you know the merchandising arm at one point was making more money than they were bringing in profit from the studio (laughs) so desi had his outlet this studio his kingdom but he could just not stop philandering openly like everyone that worked there not only knew but knew that lucille knew if you get me the real mm-hmm. life tension must have been so surreal to work there. I, uh, it's very uncomfortable to think about. A magazine had outed Desi's exploits extramaritally, shall we say, and it was in the public forum now. I. Lucy later wrote that the last five years of her marriage was a sham covered up by the Ricardos and their good marriage. Uh. I know she did have her dream marriage, but only why the cameras were rolling. I, you know... I even hate to talk about this. Well, Desi would shove her right in front of people. Lucille (laughs) once knocked him out with a hammer. Knocked him out, thought she'd killed him. And Harriet, bless Harriet, man. Harriet looked at her and she's like, okay, I will swear that he fell. I will swear (laughs) that he fell. You you say the same thing. Say he fell. I'll back you up. He fell on this hammer. Um, and Harriet the maid once protected Lucille at a dinner party by breaking a wine bottle over Desi's head. And then Desi and Harriet and Lucille exited to get cleaned up. And when they came back, it was as if nothing had happened. Desi continued his story. Lucille continued eating and Harriet continued serving the food. And everybody's looking at each other and they're like, it is like a Three Stooges movie in here. Yeah, which which is real. Are they staging a fight? Why would they do that? That was a real fight. But yeah, that would have been bizarre. Are the illusions shattered yet? The actors who played Ethel and Fred barely tolerated each other off camera. And I am 99% sure that Desi never said, Lucy, you got some splain to do. 
which seems the most shocking of all. It's like beam me up Scotty from Star Trek never happened. Yeah, I, I was actually surprised to hear that. The closest I can find, he does say, Lucy, splain, or start splaining. Mm-hmm. My favorite use of Lucy, you have some splain to do, is the forgotten movie, Fools Rush In, with Salma Ooh. Hayek and, oh, Salma. is it Matthew Perry? Matthew, yeah, it was. Uh-huh. Oh, so cute. She has all these brothers, and they take him out uh, and make him drink tequila because he fell into a cactus and got all hurt. So he comes <laughs> back having drank a bottle of tequila and says, Lucy, you have some splain to do. And then falls down. <laughs> I remember. I, I completely forgot about that movie. I, that kind of surprises me that it's in your repertoire of favorite movies or oh, cute movies. It's just so cute. Well, man. Well, the show won some Emmys. Lucy herself won some. Desi never did win any. In fact, I don't think he was ever nominated. Um, no. Nope. Well, they bought RKO, which is the studio where they'd met, if you remember from part one. And Desi became quite the businessman, except that everyone knew you had to bring him the papers before lunch. Otherwise, he'd be too far into the bottle to help you. Now, <laughs> Lucille was not as involved as he was in the business part. Um, she took up things like watercolors and weekends at home with the kids. And I wonder if the whole business empire thing was another strategy as the TV show was in the first place to keep Desi near home. Oh, maybe. Well, Desi started opening hotels and restaurants and all manners of other, you know, businesses. My favorite one was that this this is kind of like a stick it to the man kind of thing. He built a hotel that butted up to a prestigious country club that didn't allow anyone as a member who wasn't Caucasian. So he couldn't get a membership there, so he built a hotel that butted right up to it. <laughs> well, despite all his behavior, I, I just have to say, underlying the rest of this entire story, all the parts, Lucille loved Desi very much. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's not enough. Well, after six seasons of half-hour shows, I Love Lucy changed to a one-hour format and also way down to 13 episodes total over the course of the next three years. This was kind of like 13 movies, all about your old favorite characters. Um, And that gave Desi a lot more freedom to do his other business enterprises. It was a lot less stressful to do. You know, the daily grind wasn't so bad. But it really did nothing to ease the personal pressure of the marriage, especially toward the end of the run, where they were speaking to each other only through other people. You know the thing, like, tell Desi I said to cut that line. Well, you tell Lucille I'm leaving it in. This, ladies and gentlemen, is why you're never <laughs> supposed to date work people, I guess, because it ends up bad. I dated a work person, but then I had to leave the company. That's what happens. I know. Well, the last thing they ever filmed together for I Love Lucy was a scene where Lucy's disguised as a mustachioed chauffeur who's driving Desi around the city. As we say, hijinks ensue. The very last thing filmed was the reconciliation kiss at the end when Ricky Ricardo forgives Lucy for being cockamamie. That's the end. That's the end. The end of everything. It, it is. Lucy was actually waiting for Desi to realize that the marriage was over so that they would both be on the same page. And once she did, she had a lawyer and I'm not kidding, 20 minutes. She filed for divorce on the grounds of extreme mental cruelty. The only thing she'd really be drawn on to the press is to say that life with Ricky was not at all like life with Desi and she needed to leave. You know, people close to them knew the deal. Anybody who'd been to one of those wine battle 
dinner parties knew the deal. <laughs> I know. Well, fans mourned. They mourned just as if it were Lucy and Ricky Ricardo divorcing. But of course, the real picture had never, ever matched the TV ideal. Lucille was 49. This is probably a good time to take a break. And when we come back, we can talk about Lucille's life after I Love Lucy. I bet he's going to look just like you. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> we're having a baby. I'll bet she'll speak with an accent like you. She? Yeah. We're having a baby. Um, I don't really like slapstick comedy. I mean, I could take it in small doses, but... So my constant repetition every holiday season of the movie Home Alone is baffling to you? Yeah, well, it's not baffling. I get it. I mean, my family, the boys in the house watch uh, DVDs of the Three Stooges all the time. So yeah. so how do you I... feel about like um, people stuffing chocolates in their bra? Okay, I thought it was funny the first time I saw it, but it wasn't like something that I could go back and laugh at a second time. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, the physical comedy of um, Donald O'Connor and Singing in the Rain is one thing <laughs> I could watch over and over again, but not the chocolates. I mean, it was cute, but... In contrast, I love musicals, like, on a stage, but mm -hmm. I really, really find them not good as movies oh so yes uh i've been recording this whole time so let's go ahead and leave that in okay <laughs> and uh so we're back we're back for real even though we've been just sitting here talking and drinking our tea so <laughs> lucille and desi are no more and desi was off simultaneously man about towning and trying to clean up his act and lucille true to form buried herself in work 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 Less than two months after the divorce, Lucille was making a movie with Bob Hope, and the first day of filming, Lucille fell straight down from nine feet up in the air and knocked herself unconscious. She hurt herself very badly. Her face was black. Um, so how does she feel about physical comedy now, huh? <laughs> oh, not so good. And no. old Desi came out of the woodwork to come get her at the hospital, and he took such good care of her that rumors started swirling that they were together again. And I think the kids felt a stirring of hope, too. And even I, reading this, wondered. It was such a weird thing. This utter love they had for each other and also this 100% complete dysfunction. A horrible mm -hmm. combination. But no, yeah. you know, they said no, just friends, just friends. It just wasn't going to happen. It just wasn't going to happen. They knew that they were too volatile as a couple. So Lucille did finish that movie after extensive recovery, although she was left with scars on her face that she had to cover with makeup the rest of her life. Then she decided to stretch herself and go for Broadway, a musical, despite the fact that she was no singer. We will talk about that later. And <laughs> no dancer. Uh, choreography wise, you know, this is probably going to work, right? Well, sure, sure. Well, I mean, in one regard, she's from New York. That's her roots. So going back there probably was really healing for her in this transitional time. I mean, we know what happens, but... Um, 
So she actually, she took the kids, she took a nanny, and she moved them to New York. The kids absolutely hated it. The weather was too cold. There was no grass outside. I mean, they'd grown up in sunny California, and now they're in winter in New York City. Little Desi was bullied in school, and little Lucy was missing all of her friends. And Lucille didn't actually do so great on the play. Well, in this producer deal where Desilu would fund the production, it was a show called Wildcat about a scrappy kind of brash woman who reminds me of the unsinkable Molly Brown, actually. But in this case, oil fields rather than mining. She, Lucille, was about 25 years older than the showrunners had envisioned the character in the first place. But hey, you know, hey, she's the biggest star on TV. A draw, right? Right. So she started rehearsals. They were grueling physically and mentally, too, because really the show was on her. Everyone's jobs were her responsibility. Also, her family was very unhappy. So that was on her, too. There was a lot going on. She went out on a lot of dates. Does it seem to you, Susan, that Lucy is a person who just can't live without a love interest Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> I mean, one after another, like a montage in a movie, one after yeah. another, unacceptable ones. And one night she was introduced to a comedian named Gary Morton who claimed he'd never seen her show, which I am calling BS, though Jerry Seinfeld, real and fictional, also claimed never to have seen it. But during Seinfeld's time, it wasn't the number one show in the country. Right. He was a comedian, you know, he was on the comedy circuit. So he was appearing in clubs all over the country at night. At one so, Monday night? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who's going to be there? They're all sitting at home watching I watching Love Lucy. I Love Lucy. I Maybe that's know. when he goes out, when he went out, you know, to play pool or whatever. Well, he was intriguing to her for that reason. I The whole unaffected by her stardom thing. If it was a front or not a front, I don't know. I How do I really explain Gary? He's kind of like one of those guys on Entourage that aren't the main character, but that the star genuinely wants to have around and that everyone's happy to see. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, he's funny and loyal and, you know, kind of down to earth. Lucy called him ugly handsome. (laughs) (laughs) I guess as opposed to Desi Arnaz, who was just handsome, maybe more rugged, less pretty. I don't know. They began seeing each other pretty regularly. But uh, who else did she see regularly? Would you like to guess? Desi Arnaz, that's who. (laughs) Uh, who, after all, he had a financial interest in the show's success, I guess we can... And she was the mother of his children, so if he wanted to visit his kids... Well, Desi was there when the show opened for its out-of-town tryout in Pennsylvania, and he made a lot of changes. Well, suggestions, but you know, the producer wants something. <laughs> hey, presto, it's changed. So, um, <laughs> removing some songs, for one, encouraging Lucille to put a little more Lucy Ricardo in it, for another, a little shtick. You know, the audience paid to be in a room with Lucille Ball, mostly. Mm-hmm. They're not really here to see the show. I mean, they are, but not really. Yeah, and so if she's playing a different character... That's not what they want. That's not what their dollars went for. So the critics' reviews were just terrible, but the people ate it up. Desi was right, even after it opened on Broadway. And she and Desi saw each other every single night the week it opened. And he called her at intermission every night after that. And he proposed again. The divorce wasn't final for a year. And Lucille was tempted, so tempted, until, get this, the universe spoke to her. 
I can't even fathom this. Okay. This, this couple that had been in the audience were ushered backstage. They were so freaking excited to give her something that they had found while they were on vacation in Hawaii. It was a gold necklace and it had a wedding ring on it and engraved inside it said, To Desi, with love from Lucy. It was a sign. Not the sign to say yes. I mean, I'm sure she thanked them and posed her photo, whatever. The couple didn't know. But the sign was to forget it because evidently Desi losing that ring in the first place had precipitated one of the biggest fights they had ever had. And instead of being reminded of the good times, that ring reminded her of all that adrenaline, of the yelling and the crying. And the, you do not want to go back down that road, no matter how charming he appears to you right now. It doesn't that sound like something that's written into a story? I mean, it happened, but it seems so weird, <laughs> you know? It, it's very shocking. She had yeah. bought Desi a fur coat. It was going to be a present next time he came to New York because it was going to be cold, you know? She, after she got that ring and thought about it, she got that fur coat out and she marched out into the theater and gave it to the first correctly sized male cast member she saw. <laughs> it, it's She turned him down. Mm -hmm. She became Gary Morton's girlfriend, much to the shock of her A-list friends, I think. I don't love him, she would say, but I like him. Well, and, and he wasn't really around all the time, which she was probably used to maybe, but he would have jobs booked in, in Florida. And, you know, Lucy was in New York or working on something else and they were separated. So it was always, always fresh when they got back together. Well, she went out at night. She didn't sleep. She didn't take care of herself. And ultimately, the show had to close because Lucy's health just failed. Um, they tried over and over to, to bring it back and she'd get better. But after 171 shows, it was over and considered a failure. It certainly lost money. So Lucy went back to Hollywood and her house and her kids who had the screening copy of The Parent Trap and kept playing it pointedly <laughs> over and over at their mother until she had to sit them down and tell them, OK, look. I'm sorry, that's never going to happen. No. It's never going to happen. She was flailing a little and she didn't know what to do. Sort of wanted to run away as far from TV and acting and everyone she knew as possible. She enrolled the children in school in Switzerland until her mother had to sit her down and say, look, he's a nice man. You don't like to be alone. Just settle down. You need an anchor. You're like a crazy person. <laughs> So they did. They they got married. And it really wasn't that long between when they met and when they married. It was like, what, a little over a year? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, but they, they did get married and she settled. I don't know. I she seemed very happy later in life, though. So I think it was a good choice for her. Well, um, she married him in the same suit she wore during the court proceedings to divorce Desi. I don't know yeah. if that's symbolism or if she <laughs> she was kind of frugal. It might have been the one respectable suit she owned. Yeah, maybe she had bought it for a special occasion. and This was a special occasion. Yeah, I mean, I guess if it had like negative memories on it, getting married would wash those away maybe. Well, in case you're know. wondering, Gary signed a prenup because everybody else was wondering. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so Gary was steady. Gary thought mostly of Lucille. Gary was invited places and was happy to be there. While Desi's drinking had really whittled down Lucille's social circle. Unlike Desi, who would rage at being referred to as Lucille Ball's husband, Gary would just beam and be like, I know, right? Like, I'm the luckiest <laughs> son of a bee in the world, you know. I think he was really good for her. He, he was no firecracker, but he was such a steady person. 
Yeah, he was a, a, a steady ember glowing, I guess. And it, relatively optimistic. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of seeing this. You know how the rest of her life, Lucille was kind of like jumpy and, and ready to battle and stuff. But I think Desi had, had trained her that way. Like she, everything was a battle with them. Yeah. And then, you know, so when Gary would say something, Lucille would pop off. He'd be like, it's fine. You don't have, <laughs> nobody's going to fight here. We're good. Yeah. If that means more to you than to me. That's fine. I don't care. And that's the end of it. And it would just be like, whoa, that's not what I'm used to at all. I, yeah. I wonder how many years, maybe the rest of her life, it took her to get used to it. I don't know. Because <laughs> that fire that she and Desi had, I mean, that had left scars. Yep. Well, Desi Lou Studios was sort of in trouble. They only had one hit show left. It was The Untouchables was there. Mm-hmm. And they were having to spend lots of money to convert to color processes and kind of other innovations they had to do just to keep up. Not to make profit, but just to keep up with the competition. The idea was floated to have Lucille star in a show, like a stopgap show, you know, sure winner, one season filler, while all of this modernization is paid off. Can you just mm-hmm. come back and do this one year? And okay, fine. It was called The Lucy Show. Now she's Lucy Carmichael. Mm-hmm. Did we talk about the AR thing? The AR thing. Long, long, long ago, Carol Lombard's mother mm-hmm. had told her that the combination of AR was very, very lucky. And she should always try to have an AR in her name. And that's why Ricardo has AR in it. And that's why she felt like Desi Arnaz was her lucky charm. And all of her character names from now on will have the AR in it. Because her real name, I mean, if she had taken Gary's last name, it would have been Morton. But Yeah, but she didn't. Yeah, yeah. She was actually able to pair up again with her old pal, Vivian Vance. They starred as a widow and a divorced woman, and both of them have kids, and they're living in the same house, and antics ensue. (laughs) They did not want Lucy to be a divorcee because the real divorce was so fresh in Mm -hmm. the press. And also, she couldn't have a husband because no one could really see an audience accepting a replacement for Ricky Ricardo. Right. Except Vivian Vance. <laughs> That's true. I like these shows. I like the loose. I remember watching it. I, I just remember watching it. Not, I don't remember the details until I, I had to watch them again. But I, I kind of like the setup because it was kind of very modern for the time. We had uh, Kate and Allie, I think, in the um, 80s, which was another divorced and uh, widowed friends that live that blend their families and live in the same house. But I thought that, you know, for the times, I thought that this was kind of groundbreaking. This was pre-Laverne and Shirley, too. There's really no precedent for two, what are they, like a buddy comedy. Right, that's ladies. A, yeah. Mm-hmm. Except so, their own show. <laughs> Except I Love Lucy. Right. That's the precedent, yeah. So Desi and Lucy marketed themselves as good friends, but there would be Desi crying up on the catwalk during rehearsals, you know, (laughs) regretting his life, telling everyone that would listen that Gary took his life from him, took his kids, took his wife, took his job, took his blah, blah, blah. He drank daiquiris for breakfast. I mean, they're full of vitamin C, but also (laughs) full of alcohol. He'd fall asleep on set. I mean, matters were spiraling out of control. The studio was in trouble. They had tenants there. Andy Griffith Show, My Three Sons, The Dick Van Dyke Show. My Three Sons, incidentally, was where Fred Mertz ended up. He's grandpa on that show. Remember that? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, originally, Lucy and Desi had had an agreement and that either one of them could buy the other out first. They had the right of first refusal, I guess, uh, if they wanted to buy him out of the studio. So Desi decided he wanted out and Lucy did buy him out for $3 million. Not only did that give her the ownership of the studio, but she became the first head of a major television studio who was a woman. Groundbreaking. Desi was gone, although she still consulted him for years afterward on matters of taste, really, Um, Mm -hmm. choice and casting and this and that. But he was no longer a part of the studio. She left his office exactly how he had left it for years afterward. No one was allowed in there except to dust a fully giant, major president size office completely unoccupied and left exactly and he only took like a picture of his family and left everything else there so it, it really looked like he had simply gone out for a meeting and was going to come right back but he never did mm. oh desi who four months after the divorce was final married their former neighbor edie hirsch a redhead who looked enough like lucille that it was commonly remarked upon a married woman who got a quick mexican divorce married desi and then had to pull him out of the casino on their wedding night. Let us place him gently down. Good night, Desi. Sleep tight. <laughs> we will catch up with you in a minute. We'll just give you a glass of water on your side table and <laughs> tuck you in. <laughs> so Lucille Ball, in charge, like Queen Elizabeth I, she was the mistress with no master. Gary was not in charge there. She was in charge. Her husband didn't work there. Oh, he was on her show once as a golf pro. But she also kind of put the law down that she didn't want him to travel anymore for his comedy act either. A but he didn't dis- have to. No. Yeah. But a long distance husband was not what she didn't want it. She didn't want it the first time. She couldn't stop it. She didn't mm-hmm. want it the second time. And now she could stop it. And so he he was no longer a comedian. <laughs> well, <laughs> He she- was Mr. Lucille Ball. Yep. But he was happy about it. And I don't think he did it, you know, for the money or the fame or anything. I just think he truly loved her so much that she came first in his life. I think that's a love story. It is. She said later that she really missed having a peer to bounce ideas off of. Even the comfort of being able to defer to someone else's judgment and just let him handle things like she'd done with Desi. But now she was in charge. And one of her foibles, I just, it it fits nowhere. I just have to mention it. She's famous for, once she became the president and was there every day, no one could find any of their pencils. They keep looking around, where's the dang pencils? And finally, one of the VPs opened a closet in Lucille's office, opened the door and out, Farrah McGee style, came hundreds of pencils. And... (laughs) It was like a psychological thing from way back in elementary school when her grandma and grandpa couldn't afford to buy her pencils for school. She had a thing. If she was at a board meeting, she'd take all the pencils. If she was at a restaurant, she'd take all the pencils. Like a problem. <laughs> and she's like, well, I don't. I just want to make sure I have enough. And that vice president put his hand on hers and said, you own this studio. You have enough. These are all your pencils. We are only borrowing <laughs> Uh, I love that. <laughs> I, it doesn't really fit anywhere. But yeah, the whole story. No, it is a good story. 
So at her studio, she was making her show, which kind of morphed into a place for celebrity guest appearances. Joan Crawford was on it, Jack Benny, Carol Burnett, George Burns, Milton Berle. I mean, big names of the time. They'd come in, either they'd be themselves or some some other little part, but they'd be on her show and it was a big draw for her. She brought on new shows. Uh, she made a variety of specials. She added 22 new shows. Now, not all of them sold, but they were being produced in the pilots and put together by Desilu Studios. Lucille was this interesting mix of a complete hard Alec, especially with business things, which I wonder if that was playing a role, like fake it till you make it. Oh, um, yeah, maybe. I'm thinking. And then also a very vulnerable, alone inside kind of a person. One of the books I read said that one of her friends said, quote, she was forced to put steel around her heart. That's a good description, I think. So she was micromanaging and sort of iron fisted about her own show, especially, and Mm -hmm. then sort of charmingly vague about some pretty major things. Some of her executives convinced her to put up money for this pilot that CBS had rejected. Like, I don't even want to film this pilot. And they're like, please film it. Please, Lucy, you have the power. Please film it. It was called Briggs Squad. And the whole concept, you know, eh, CBS wasn't down. But her VPs, who she had hired for their ability to make good decisions, really begged and said, you have the funds. I I know you do to develop this. Please do it. You won't regret it. And so she did. Desilu filmed the pilot. Frank Sinatra lent them his own plane to use for a scene. That's connections for you. (laughs) You've never heard of Briggs Squad? You say, of course you haven't, because before it aired, they renamed it Mission Impossible. Dun, 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 dun. That music I know. (laughs) And this one, this one, the show Lucy referred to in a board meeting as, quote, that show about the USO performers you're working on, which turned out actually to be Star Trek. (laughs) Um. Well, you know, here's what she knew. It was about traveling and stars. And when did stars travel? Well, of course, when they were on the USO. Of course it was. Oh, dear. So (laughs) they had to explain the concept to her. Um, Yeah. One advisor said that this was just too radical. Like, no one ever done a show like this before. But a man she'd hired from NBC and whose judgment she trusted said, if you want to be a major player in this business, you have to do this show. So she and she alone gave them the green light. So think about this. Without Lucille Ball, you'd have no Spock. You'd have no Captain Kirk. You'd have no Beam Me Up, Scotty. We talked about that. We don't have that. It never happened. No. no. Do you know Martin Luther King Jr. let his kids stay up late to watch Star Trek? And when the lady that played Uhuru wanted to quit to pursue other things he wrote her a letter saying please don't please don't you're such a valuable role model for the community you just don't realize how much of an impact you're having i wish you would reconsider and stay and she did well how could she not she got a letter from martin luther king jr keep your keep your day job oh okay <laughs> well so the halls of desi lu were full of klingons and lassie and gomer pile and hogan's heroes and i spy and my favorite martian and that girl with Marlo Thomas and Batman. I loved that girl. Did you? I, yeah, I did. I, yeah. I think we, I remember my parents bringing us downstairs to watch that and um, The Flying Nun. Okay, I don't, you're not that much older than me. I don't think I watched either one of those shows. Well, I'm old enough that, I, I mean, I was a very small child, but it was like early memories. 
I guess maybe my parents realized that we fell asleep at the TV when the TV was on. <laughs> I don't know. That's they funny. had three kids within 18 months. They probably used every trick in the book <laughs> to get us to stop moving. In case you guys are trying to do that math, Susan is a twin. <laughs> <laughs> so Lucy, her second hit show, got her another Emmy. And then another one. So she got two more Emmys. The second show ran, it was just called The Lucy Show, Ran for six years, 156 episodes. Yeah, it was only supposed to be for a year, but it was Mm -hmm. such a hit. All this, all this stuff, all this, you know, Batman and Lucy and Vivian and blah, blah, blah. It was a lot of plates to spin in the air. And Lucille was approached by Paramount to sell the studio. And although she cried and she kind of felt like she was selling a baby that she had made, you know, I think it was a great relief to have so much responsibility just lifted off her shoulders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she had so much responsibility lifted and quite a few dollars put into her bank account. She sold it for $17 million. Remember, she bought it for three. She sold the studio for $17 million. That is a respectable return on investment. I think so. How many uh, pencils could you buy for that? How many pencils? <laughs> Several. <laughs> Several closets full. <laughs> well, she filmed another year at this new Paramount. Same place, different name. But mm-hmm. it was weird now. You know, it was weird. And they wouldn't fix your air conditioner, which was the final straw. And this dang show, Laugh-In, was put opposite her show. And they took to, on sign-off, waving her, bye-bye, Lucy, good night. You know, and it was like, golly. So they're making fun of her, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lucille felt like she just might be losing touch. And it was probably time to end that second show. Yeah. And this is probably a good time to end this part of our conversation and when we come back we'll find out what happens in, later in her life The Lucy Show Starring Lucille Ball Co-starring Vivian Vance You're back. Lucille has just wrapped up her second hit television show, and she decided to take time to film a movie, one I love, actually, called Yours, Mine, and Ours, about a blended family with 18 children. So she rebranded, did Lucy, a new show called Here's Lucy, a new name, Carter. Now she's Lucy Carter, another AR name. AR, mm-hmm. With both of her children cast as her teenage kids, which honestly did not work out that well personally. But after the first season, did all right numerically. I I do remember this show too. Um, but now that I know their background, I wonder if she did that to keep the kids close to her and keep an eye on them because they were getting a little on the wild side. Dizzy Jr. was quite a little partier and he kind of had this garage band with a couple friends including Dean Martin Jr. and it took off. He was on tour at a very very young age really against Lucille's wishes. He had taken to I don't know what shall I say substances and alcohol and this show might have been the way to keep him safe. You know how it's hard to work with family though. It's hard to work with family. It's hard to keep your stuff separate You just go over work stuff at home and home stuff at work. And then here her children were both seeing her worst aspects of her personality. 
Even her mom said that she was horrible at work. Even the people she loved. She threw a glass of water right in Harriet's face. I know. Guess what happened? Harriet went out of that dressing room and Lucille thought it was over. But no, Harriet came back with a full glass of water and threw it right in Lucille's face. How about it? How much do we love Harriet? I love Harriet. I wish I could find out more about her. She often ran her show like a dictatorship. She didn't really take anybody's experience into account and made very, very many people either cry or hate her <laughs> during the filming of her show. <laughs> she made Joan Crawford cry. Mommy Dearest was laying on the floor of her dressing room crying and saying, and they call me a b- <laughs> Yes. Elizabeth Taylor called her Miss See You Next Tuesday, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yes, yes, she did. Although that episode's really funny, um, Elizabeth Taylor had a famous, famous giant diamond ring. And the hook of the show is that Lucy tries it on and cannot get it off. But yet, Elizabeth Taylor has to meet the press to show them the ring. So Lucy's hiding behind a curtain with her hand out. And you know how, like, they make those comedies where one person is the hands and the other person it talks? Uh-huh. That's basically what it was. Yeah. So the actual show turned out cute. But the filming of made an enemy of Elizabeth Taylor. So, But she got some big names on there. Um. Oh, the kids, man, the kids. Lucy Jr. moved out the day she turned 18 into her own apartment, which is perfectly acceptable to do. To pay someone back for something, that's probably not good. But if you're just moving out, that's a perfectly acceptable age to do it. But Desi Jr. got involved with the mother of one of his friends. (laughs) And so Lucille packed up all his stuff and put all his stuff on her lawn for Mother's Day. Happy Mother's I think he was only about 16 at the time. He was then involved in an affair and a paternity situation with Patty Duke. The baby in question is actually the actor Sean Astin now. Uh, he is a hobbit, among other things. <laughs> yeah, and not Desi's son. Yeah. At the time, though, it was a very, very big controversy, and it was spiraling out of control as far as Lucy was concerned. I mean, but you know what? <sighs> I hate, I mean... She wasn't around when they were little, and I don't mm-hmm. want to blame her for that. I think it was more the dysfunctional relationship with Desi. Yeah. I think the parents not getting along. Like, even that book she liked so much, The Power of Positive Thinking, mm-hmm. it could have been her other one, The Art of Selfishness, was another one of her, her books that she liked to refer to that basically said one whole parent is better than two that feud. And all yeah. those kids ever had was two that feuded. Although um, anything that I saw about them, they, they love their parents very much. You know what else, though? It was like the late 60s, early 70s, and teenagers all over the place mm-hmm. were baffling their parents. This isn't just a Lucille Ball problem. I mean... I no. think I think it's like that. That is a major generational split right there, and she just happens to be famous, and so we saw it happening. You yeah. I mean? Oh yeah. No, I totally, I totally agree. Nineteen sixty-eight was huge for that. The times they are a changing. Well, the only place that Lucille ever felt any peace was Aspen. 
where she had bought a set of condos all on top of each other so her mother could have one and the servants and secretary another and, and Lucille and the kids could have another one. And she took up skiing with a vengeance. It had cleared her mind. This is before you could put DJ Khaled in your ears and cruise down. It was meditative and dangerous. It's the perfect combination. So Mama downstairs would make pot roast and bring it upstairs with the good smells and everyone looked out of the windows at the falling snow and the ski patrol would wave hi, Lucy, every night on their way home. It was really relaxing. Fireplace <laughs> crackling. I mean, just a feast for the senses, really. But alas, fate. A skiing accident, or should I say someone else's skiing accident, as someone crashed into her and broke her leg in four places, which means Wheelchair City for the last 20 or so episodes of Here's Lucy. <laughs> and here it is, the movie I hate. The one I wish she hadn't done, and in fact, Angela Lansbury was really supposed to have done since she originated on Broadway, but who wanted it? Lucille. And who was a bigger star? Lucille. What movie so, am I talking about? Mame. <laughs> well, of course they gave it to her, even though Desi, whose judgment on scripts was almost always spot on, said she was all wrong for the parts. Well, she was. <laughs> so should we give you... Okay, if you if you aren't familiar with the story, there's a dramatic socialite of a certain age, 50-ish, rich, who also inherits her nephew, about 10 years old. There's a lot of musical numbers. She loses her money in the stock market crash, and hijinks ensue as she tries to find a new bow and a new way ahead and tries to be a good mother. And I'm sorry, but if you like this story, you should really watch Anti-Mame with Rosalind Russell. Like nature oh. intended. <laughs> Before it was a musical. Yeah. Although if you're going to watch a musical, you can see bits of Angela Lansbury in it um, on YouTube. There you go. It's it's cringy. <laughs> but when you see Rosalind Russell, you, you do that gesture where you kiss the tips of your fingers and like throw the kiss into the air. It is so good. <laughs> okay. So I cannot recommend anything about this movie. Mame. Nope. Nope. I mean... We know she's not a singer and choreography was not her forte. I don't know. It's it's painful to me. Um, real critics were not any more forgiving, I'm sorry to say. And her show, Here's Lucy, was not renewed for its seventh season. The network's choice, not hers. Mm -hmm. But get this. I mean, within that sentence is the fact that her show lasted for six seasons again. I mean, yeah, I don't have a show. I mean, I guess I do have a show that lasts for six seasons. <laughs> five i think i'm vivian in this situation <laughs> oh my god that is so funny I, that just occurred to me right now that made me laugh well so it's an achievement i mean it's three yeah. achievements right in a row three shows six seasons but decreasing popularity yes, yes yeah definitely she turned down driving miss daisy <laughs> me with the music sorry <laughs> well would that have been a different move i get that one i could have seen i think i could have seen what oh no mm -hmm. no it was perfect just the way it was no it's good but i'm saying i you know what there's no singing there's no dancing yeah. no. i don't know it could it could have worked it could have worked she turned it down doesn't matter it's an alternate universe i totally disagree <laughs> my favorite jessica tandy movie is not driving miss daisy but is fried green tomatoes at the whistle stop cafe oh yeah that's a good one too I will always love that movie. That's one of my favorites. Okay. Well, life rolled on. Life, some people's lives rolled on. Harriet died. Oh, Harriet. Lucille's mother, Dee Dee, died. Her biggest cheerleader. 
we never said this before, but Desi and his mom and Lucy and her mom, they were tight. They really took care of their parents. I thought that was sweet. That was very sweet. So yeah. it, was, it hit the family hard when she died. Vivian Vance died of cancer, but not before Lucy could say goodbye. Lucy Jr. married and had children, and there is the sweetest home video of them that we'll link you to. And if you get close to the end, there's a scene of Lucy and of Desi with a baby in the pool. So sweet. And Desi is pretending to play the drum, and he's singing Babalu to the baby, and the baby's just splashing and so excited. It's very sweet. It's really cute. And Lucille pushes Desi's hair out of his eyes, and you just get this sense of... I mean, love, yes. I just regret and sadness. It's just, and, it's very and, touching. But, you know, familiarity, because who's going to mess, you know, the only people who are very close to you are going to fix your hair. Well, Lucy filled her days with Scrabble and Batgammon. She actually hired a Batgammon coach. I couldn't tell you how to hire a Batgammon coach. <laughs> well, you wouldn't need one. If you needed one, you'd know. <laughs> I guess. It's very... It was like competitive Batgammon. I was not aware it was a thing. Well, she was very, speaking of competitive, Wheel of Fortune, she will smoke you. <laughs> uh, one time she was on Circus with the Stars. Do you remember that one? I don't, but it was was she like on some kind of trapeze or a wire uh, or something? I don't remember. <laughs> she formed a friendship with Carol Burnett. You know Carol Burnett. And Carol Burnett had appeared on her show and she appeared on Carol Burnett's show. Well, we need to find a link to that. I remember one where they were both dressed as Carol Burnett's, you know, um, washerwoman figure with her mop and her hair tied up in a in a bandana. Uh -huh. I have a vague, I, have a, I didn't watch that, but I have a vague recollection of literally seeing that and it had to be on the Carol Burnett show. And I was too little for Here's Lucy. She sat down with Barbara Walters for an interview. It's all over YouTube. We'll, we'll link you up. But it is so highly filtered. It's just soft, filtered, you know, with lenses. So Barbara looks like she's 12 <laughs> and Lucille looks like she's 50 because at the time she was much older. Um, but it was it's with her and Gary and she's thinking back to her, talking about her life. And she said she married a loser when she talks about Desi. It's like... All of a sudden, she's like, she was kind of cranky. She's like, I mean, he was a loser. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> They're still kind of in, in communication, and it could be that he said something to set her off. You know how they fight. Oh, yeah. It's a bad Desi day. <laughs> uh, you know, he probably just got on her bad side. She's like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. This is where we are right now. That same year, she was one named one of the top 10 admired women before Queen Elizabeth II and Mamie Eisenhower. Nice. That's how beloved she still was in the 80s. Well, she mostly, Lucy, hated going out because people would inevitably comment on her age or how she didn't look like real Lucy. People are insensitive. Or other comments that, I mean, they really hurt her to the core. They had soft focused her in MAME and she'd gotten a lot of flack for that. And then here's this new interview where they also put, I don't even know, pantyhose over the lens. Vaseline <laughs> or something. It is really, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything so highly, it looks like it's foggy is how filtered it is. So she was very, um, very self-conscious about about, you know, the, her most known TV persona was from a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And that's what was fresh in people's mind. And then the reality. And she just didn't like to see people's faces when they reacted that way. Um, there is a book that I read 
because you would think her declining years are kind of sad and this and that, but I was actually quite heartened. I read this book. I'll I'll link you here at the end during the media section, but it's this kind of cousin or son of a cousin of Gary's, somebody in Gary's family, a young gay man, and she developed this very good friendship. And he often, because Gary didn't want to go somewhere, he'd, he'd take her to dinner or to the theater or whatever. And he took her in the 80s to La Cage on Broadway. That's the show The Birdcage was based on. And somebody found out she was in the audience. And during intermission, the lights came up and someone from the balcony screamed, Lucy, I love you. And then the bus started to go around and everyone saw her and she got a standing ovation at intermission. And she cried and cried and her companion said that she squeezed his hand so hard he couldn't feel it for act two. (laughs) But she just couldn't, she didn't comprehend fully that she was still in people's hearts and things like that really touched. God, I'm getting teary because uh-huh. it just, it like startled her so much. Here she was just going to this show with her friend and it turned out to be a tribute and she was so touched. She could not stop talking about it the rest of the night. So they paid there her is- back for her, her work there and she really felt happy. I'm so mm-hmm. glad. Oh, so glad. <laughs> so, um, she tried a few more projects, a movie that flopped, a fourth sitcom that flopped so oh, badly. So bad. Oh, it was so bad. She was, uh, again, a widow and a grandmother and half owner of a hardware store with Gail Gordon, who was um, an actor who was in a lot of her shows. Even with Aaron Spelling, who was a superstar TV producer at the time, it totally tanked. She was 75 years old at the time doing this show. It it was not good. Well, yeah, this is how bad it was. The first eight were aired. There were like four more that they had made, but the <laughs> network's like, we're not airing. And there's one, they're like, forget this. We're not even going to film this one. <laughs> well, hmm, that was a blow. That was a blow. And talk about a blow. Desi died only age 69 in 1986. And Lucille fell apart in private. And days after his funeral, which, I mean, I cannot imagine a greater event in her life than Desi's death. She went to Washington, D.C. to receive a Kennedy Center Award from President Ronald Reagan. And if I can play you the tribute song here that B. Arthur and Pam Dauber and Valerie Harper sang to her, uh, I will. During this ceremony, which was aired and taped after Desi died, an actor who had started at Desi Lou got up on stage and read a message from Desi, who was dead, that right. said... Give Lucy 90% of the credit for that show. Divide the other 10% among the rest of us. Lucy was the show. The rest of us were props. Damn good props, but just props. P.S. I Love Lucy was never just a title. I, you can't even listen to that without crying. And imagine it in that situation. Uh, not a dry eye. Well, and then the camera went right to her face, which I was like, give her a minute. Oh, my God. I know. So yes. Was there even, yeah, was there about waterproof mascara in 1986? I don't know. I don't know. Oh my goodness. Well, Lucille suffered a stroke at 77, which she, uh, she discovered when she felt a heavy object hit her lap and realized it was her arm. Yes. So she pushed through like a champ recovery and was so gratified to be asked to present at the Oscars with Bob Hope in 1989. The year Rain Man won, incidentally, for Best Picture. Uh-huh. Um, so Bob Hope, old friend for decades, who'd been her 
firmly friend zoned escort to a lot of industry things after Desi was, you know, gone, no longer in the picture. She got after him backstage. No one cares what you look like. Everybody's going to care what I look like. It's not fair. And she would punch him on the arm. <laughs> and when they and- walked out on stage, there was a standing standing ovation from the whole room to the point that the show sort of came to a halt. Mm-hmm. Major stars of the industry. You know what? A Broadway audience is one thing. This is major stars backstage and front stage of the movie industry that are mm-hmm. giving her and Bob Hope a standing ovation. She was surprised and so very happy not to be forgotten. It touched her really deeply. Yeah, and that was actually her last public appearance. Two weeks later, she had a heart attack that landed her in the hospital. And unfortunately, just under two weeks later, 77-year-old Lucille Ball died of an aortic rupture on April 26, 1989. Her death was front page news, front page news all over the world. But her funeral was very quiet with just her family in attendance as she had wished. Yeah, she didn't want any ceremony at all. Um, She was interred, her ashes at Forest Lawn, but she wanted them to have a picnic with foods from her childhood that she just loved. It was like ham and baked beans and potato salad and watermelon for just, you know, the closest inner circle in her life. I love that. I do, too. Um, oh, yeah. We're not going to talk about her food preferences, which are straight out of the 50s. Jello, <laughs> ambrosia salad, beans yeah. and weans, which I guess is franks and beans. Beans and weans. Yeah. Beans and weans. Weenies. We already talked about jelly on a cracker. Yeah. That's what I was just thinking. Jelly on a cracker. <laughs> yeah. Her children. I don't know if it was in concert with the opening of the Desi and Lucy Museum in Jamestown. Her children moved her ashes and her mother's to Jamestown, New York. Mm-hmm. And that is where she is now in the path to her gravestone. You're guided there by little red hearts that are painted on the concrete. Aww. And that brings us to the end of Lucy's life. Stay tuned for our media references. The screen, the television, the day. You've earned a place on history's page. For what you've done for women, we think you know exactly how we do. We're all here celebrating you. We're all here emulating you. We're all congratulating you. And why don't we just start with books? Let's. You can read Lucille Ball's autobiography. It's um, It was published after her death from her notes, but it's Love Lucy by Lucille Ball. And then I liked, um, there's two biographies here, Ball of Fire, The Tumultuous Life and Comic Art of Lucille Ball by Stefan Kantfer. And, I like that one too. Uh, Lucille, The Life of Lucille Ball by Kathleen Brady is very good. It has a lot of pictures in it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? Another one that had a lot, a lot, a lot of pictures is um, Laughing with Lucy by Madeline Davis, who was a writer with Lucille for years. And um, it almost reads like a adult storybook because there's so many pictures uh, that go with it that I hadn't seen before. So I thought that one was pretty good. And for coverage of the famous relationship, there is Lucy and Desi, the legendary life story of television's most famous couple by Warren G. Harris, which is actually on Audible right now, if you remember. Um, And then the book I was referencing 
earlier that includes the Lacage story is I Loved Lucy, My Friendship with Lucille Ball by Lee Tannen. Yeah, I, I read that one too. I, I like that one too. I liked all the books I read this time. I, there wasn't one that I was like, uh, hmm. And there's two reference books. This depends on how um, how into it you really are. <laughs> there's a book called The Lucy Book, A Complete Guide to Her Five Decades on Television. That is an episode by episode coverage of every show she's been on, um, including specials. Every episode of all three, well, four, actually, of her shows. Um, yeah. By Jeffrey Mark Feitelman. I'm sure every diehard Lucille Ball fan already has that on their bookshelf. <laughs> Well, and then there is a similar but much more coffee table book, oh my goodness, called Lucy at the Movies, which includes screenshots and behind the scenes um, of all of her movies throughout her whole life. The um, the TV one doesn't really have any photos, but this one sure does. Wow. By Cindy De La Haas. Oh, I didn't get that one. Now I'm going to go to the library and look at it. It's a giant black and white coffee table book. It's oh, wow. It's really good and heavy. Okay, cool. Websites? Sure. Okay. The Lucy Desi Center for Comedy, which is um, in Jamestown, New York. If you want to go to the Lucille Ball Museum, that's it. It's in Jamestown, which is like Lucille Central. But they have a website and you can uh, poke around on there and see the things, they, some of the memorabilia. Uh, you can actually, if you're there, you can have a party in recreated Tropicana sets. Ooh. Or there's a recreated the bedroom and the apartment for, from the show. Uh, there's a hands-on Vitamita Vegemin exhibit. <laughs> Can you taste it? I don't know. I didn't go. <laughs> but that would be really cool. And they also put on the Lucille Ball Comedy Festival every summer in Jamestown. And this summer, it's August 3rd through 6th. And I don't know if this is the same place, but it's under the same umbrella. There is a place called the National Comedy Center, nationalcomedycenter.org, <laughs> yeah, that um, operates that. I think it right. operates that festival. So Yeah, it's, uh, it's under the same uh, banner, I believe, because I have it all together. <laughs> so, and so then, as always, I like to point you to the TV Tropes page. Now, the TV Tropes page does make mention that I Love Lucy originated a lot of tropes. So things you think are overdone, not her fault, you know. <laughs> she did it first. <laughs> the entry is so long. If you want to fall down a Lucille Ball rabbit hole, go there. We'll link you up. There is a thing on Screen Rant about pilots that were different than the shows that followed them. And um, I Love Lucy is included in that. I am going to link you to a lyrics page for not only the theme song, but other Desi songs. I think I'm going to play the theme song to I Love Lucy with the words at the end of this. I think I'm going to do that. Oh, that's good. Um, uh, What else? Well, obviously, the Vita Meet a Vegemin video and the Lucy Tells Ricky They're Having a Baby video. We'll link you up, but there's a whole first season um of videos on youtube i mean she lives on and on and on well and not the least of which is that video with desi and lucille together with their grandchild simon in the pool which mm -hmm. honestly brought tears to my eyes in the same place more comedically is a treatise on how angela lansbury was robbed of mame there is a man that is very very into that situation and so he'll tell you all about it <gasps> I thought that was really, I learned a lot about theater watching that one. Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah, because I'm not, a, you know, I'm not a theater person. You probably didn't, but are we at the statue yet? Yeah, we're at the statue. Okay. In 2009, her hometown of Jamestown unveiled a statue that was 
horrendous. It was immediately <laughs> labeled Scary Lucy. And if I obviously we'll give you a picture of it, but if I had to say anything, it was like a combination of Eleanor Roosevelt and a horse and <laughs> <laughs> some type of alien. It was horrible. Maybe like Walking Dead. There was like a Walking Dead the dead element to it. It was so bad. Um, it took them five years and a contest to find out who's going to redo the statue. But a better statue was unveiled. It's 50s Lucy, and it is perfect. Here's the really cool thing. It's 75 yards from Scary Lucy. They didn't take Scary Lucy down. Well, Scary Lucy is now a fixture. She's important now. She's part of the history. I actually was going to ask you what happened to Scary Lucy. I hope she didn't get melted down. No, she's still up because there's so much traffic that came to see her. Also, Lucille has two stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. She does. Um, There is word that Kate Blanchett is going to be starring in a biopic. It was announced a while back. I haven't found anything that says it's filming. Did you? No, that would be great. I think she'd be really good. I think she's good in everything. She is one of those actors that does not, in fact, play herself and nothing but herself every time. She's able to inhabit her parts. Yeah. Like, we've talked about this before. Like, Julia Roberts is always Julia Roberts, the end. There's no, like, she doesn't play a character. It's, oh, look who it is in this movie. (laughs) You mean kind of like Lucille Ball? Well, on her team, yes, I actually do. Yeah. <laughs> Lucy, you can add that to your to your rant. Lucille Ball is always Lucille Ball. I wonder why that is. Also, theoretically, that script is written by Aaron Sorkin, who also wrote The West Wing. So it's probably going to be a super good script. Well, I uh, I think that's all I have. There is um, commemorative stamps and things. There's tons of pictures and links on the Pinterest board. Um, things that there just isn't room or something we'd want to lead you to the source material on. We've got it all on the Pinterest board. And I have to tell you, Lucille Ball is probably the second easiest person to pin. <laughs> yeah, you've been making pins for her for a very long time. Well, and well, do you want to guess who the easiest person is? It's not something that you would think. I don't I don't know. Um, I would think Elizabeth Taylor. No, Little Red Riding Hood. Seriously. Is the I mean, you cannot you I mean, I I have often had to just stop like even though I find them cool because honestly, I I don't want to inundate with but yeah, tons of artists are inspired by that. Yeah. I'm going to have to go check out your board on that again. Um, TV Guide, which is no more, but at the time (laughs) of its 50th anniversary of I Love Lucy, it voted her the greatest TV star of all time. Oh, well, she was on more covers than anybody else. I know. That's something. There's also a Google Doodle from 2011, and we will link that up also on the Pinterest or maybe on the website. Okay. Okay. I don't want to put this on the the links for the show, so you can just go look for it yourself. There is a uh, series on YouTube that goes to look at paranormal things, and supposedly Lucille Ball's ghost is haunting something, so you can go with the ghost hunters. And I'm not saying that offensively. I don't really know what they're called. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Paranormal experts uh, to seek out Lucy's ghost. It's on YouTube. There's a whole series. it's, It's a thing. And that brings us to the end of our coverage of Lucille Ball. Lucille was an amazing and groundbreaking woman. Her comedic presence paved the way for the current comedic actresses plus businesswomen like Amy Poehler, 
Tina Fey and Julia Louis-Dreyfus. She was the first woman to run a major television studio. Her characters reflected an influenced culture. Everybody loves Lucy, and we do too. Thanks for everything you did. Thanks yes. for listening. Bye. I love Lucy and she loves me. We're as happy as two can be. Sometimes we quarrel, but then <laughs> how we love making up again. Lucy kisses like no one can. She's my missus and I'm her man. And life is hell.